He gave Jason Voorhees some backbone. He brought the garbage pail kids to life. Well, sort of. He made us afraid to sit on the toilet. We are discussing writer, director, special effects artist John Carl Beekler on this episode of Attack of the Killer Podcast. Attention planet Earth and beyond. Stay tuned for Attack of the Killer Hello and welcome to a special episode of Attack of the Killer Podcast. I am your host, Insane Mike. This is episode 182, and we will be discussing the films of John Carl Beekler. Now, John Carl Beekler was a filmmaker and effects artist that I have always been a fan of, and uh, and have uh, has felt like that uh, he just hasn't, you know had the recognition that he deserves or not a lot of people seem to talk about him like compared to his peers you know a lot of people always talk about Savini or um, Dick Smith or Rick Baker uh, not a lot of talk for um, uh, John Carl Beekler and so I wanted to change that uh, tonight um, especially considering he unfortunately um, passed away this year on March 18th at 66 years old so way too soon, um, huge bummer, and was hoping to get to this episode earlier, just didn't work out with our recording schedule, so, uh, but one of the things that I admire about the guy is how he's, he, um, crossed from just being an effects artist to being a film director as well, and, you know, a lot of, a lot of director, or a lot of, uh, effects artists have tipped their toes into directing a film, directing films, but usually it's only, only maybe like, they they only get one film you know done as a director maybe a couple you know but John Carl um, Beekler's filmography his directing filmography is 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 quite long and almost as long as his, as his effects um, filmography but what's cool is that he would still continue to do effects works um, even well long after he became a film director uh, even in doing the effects in most of his own movies so. Um, so that's what we're going to be talking about tonight, um, but, uh, before we get into our show proper, let me tell you about our show, just in case this is, this is your first time listening. Attack of the Killer podcast is a horror movie podcast where a group of friends get together with a topic, and we talk about films within that topic. Now, it's a free-for-all conversation, just, just like any group of horror fans that are hanging out, um, so... To warn you, there may be spoilers. So, if you are listening to us for the first time, first off, welcome to the show. Maybe you found us on our network called the Prescribed Films Podcast Network. If not, let me tell you about the network. The Prescribed Films Podcast Network is home to many great shows covering several aspects of pop culture, featuring shows like The Death List, Geeking Poetic, Late Night Psychorama, The Horror Cast, Atomic Way to Cheese, My Bleeding Ears, Campfire Indoctrination, The Fiasco Brothers Watch a Movie, Story by Podcast, Land of the Creeps, All About Movies, and Midnight Snacks, well, and of course, us here at Attack of the Killer Podcast as well. So you can check out all the shows, and you need to check out all the shows on the Prescribed Films Podcast, Net- Podcast Network by going to thepfpn.com. So that's thepfpn.com. 
It's an amazing collection of shows that will continue to grow and grow, so check them out. And speaking of continuing to grow, it seems just like yesterday that Attack of the Killer podcast was but a young podcast, playing in mud puddles and blowing up G.I. Joes with firecrackers. And now our little show is all grown up. Uh, and you need to help us send our, our little fella off to college by donating to our Patreon. By going to patreon.com backslash AOTKP, you can become a show supporter and get hours upon hours of bonus content. Please help our little show make its dreams about being a gynecologist a reality. Support Attack of the Killer podcast today on Patreon so we can send our young man off to a good school. Because a podcast is a terrible thing to waste. But seriously, gonna, the show... I gonna, what? I was just going to say, calling us grown-up is kind of a stretch. <laughs> Good point. Um, it, when you support the show, uh, you get all kinds of amazing perks. So, again, go to patreon.com backslash AOTKP. Check out the tiers. Support the show. Get all of our awesome bonus content created just for you, the Patreon supporter. I also want to take a moment and uh, mention our sponsor, Shudder! Shudder! Shudder is a horror-related <laughs> streaming service Love that serves the horror fan in server serviceable ways. Service, service, service. <laughs> You're good at talking. It's going to service us. They have an amazing lineup of movies, shows, original series, all things us horror freaks love. And you can get Shudder for only four ninety nine a month or forty nine ninety nine a year. And it's worth every penny. But don't take my word for it. Find out for yourself with a free month on us here at Attack of the Killer Podcast. That's right. You can get a free month of Shudder by going to Shudder.com backslash podcast. Enter our promo code AOTKP. And you can get your own month of Shudder for free. But you won't stop there. I promise you that. You will, you will get a subscription right afterwards. Because it is that awesome. So now it is that time where I introduce you to the podcast crew. He is starting his summer garden. He's planting tomatoes, green peppers, and sunny bonos. Tad good, everybody. Actually, more of a pumpkin farmer, but nice. <laughs> what does Charles Ban and Andy, when he figures to wear a belt, have in common? They both have full moons. Andy, awesome, everybody. <laughs> uh, <laughs> nice. Nice. Empire Pictures. <laughs> he wanted to get rich by making his own ginger dead man from scratch, and now he's rolling in dough. Jason Bollinger. Hi, everybody. I'm so sorry for Mike's pun. I have yeah. one more that was the worst thing I've ever uh, written. You ever actually written. have to be high to enjoy it, so... Oh, probably. What's up, everybody? So, you should you should all feel good that I picked the best of the best there. Uh, Making nervous. That's right. All right, so let's turn it over to Tad. All right. I'm going to declare it. This is everyone's favorite segment. Going to go right into what we watched, where we talk about what we've watched since the last time we recorded that's not on this episode.
So, for this week's What We Watched, I'm going to start with Andy. What did you watch? Okay. Um, I think everybody can agree with me on this one that they probably went and saw this movie. I went to Avengers Endgame. Heck yeah. Yeah. And I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. But I may be in the small population in saying this. I actually enjoyed Infinity War a little bit more. I actually think Infinity War is a little bit better. Hmm. Just, just my opinion. I mean, I don't dislike this movie. I mean, it's definitely going in the Blu-rays or possibly the, the 4Ks. You know, if if you know I ever get the television and the player, but you know, it, you know, I'll get there. But uh, very, very good. I enjoyed it. Um, I also binged uh, Cobra Kai season two. I love that goddamn show. <laughs> I, that's it's really good stuff. And I. Uh, I'm part of the uh, VHS uh, trading community, you know, online and all this and that. And uh, they, there's a guy that makes uh, bootlegs out there. But what it was, it was the it was a compilation of the movie segments from a Sega CD called Night Trap. And uh, Dana Plato from Different Strokes was in it, and the kid, uh, the the Karate brother from. Uh, uh, Nightmare Four, like Andrus or something like that. What? What's his? You guys, any of you guys know his name? Yeah, something like that. The Karate Brother from Nightmare Four. God dang it! I should know his yeah. name. He's also in Sorority Babes at the Slimeball Bolorama. Yeah, his name's like Andrus or something like that. It's 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 real, really unique. But anyway, he's in it, and this com this compilation tape is is all put together of all the movies of you going through and getting the and and this is and it's so mild. And it really, really is. But what's so cool about it is at the end of this uh, tape, this, you know, this really cool tape that's been made, and it comes in a case, and it has, like, the Night Trap logo on it and everything. It's, it's really, really cool. Um, it shows you all the uproar that this tape caused, and, you know, violence in video games, and Toys R Us would not stock it, and, you know, they, sh they show you, like, the Senate meeting over this game, and it's just, like... This is, like, the tamest thing I've ever seen in my life. I mean, sure, there's, you know, girls getting attacked in their, like, their, you know, in their underwear. But, you know, it's, like, no different than wearing, like, a, a bikini. It's like watching bikini volleyball on television. And it's just, it shows you, you know, it puts things into perspective as to how much things have changed since then. I mean, there's, like... They show you, like, the whole game and all the action play on this old Sega CD, you know, on this videotape. And then it goes into, like, uh, uh, a couple of documentaries. There's actually a documentary that was made in 95 that's on there. And then it goes into, like, the Senate hearing. And you're just, like, you're, you're seeing these, these old farts just, you know, completely lose their shit over something that is just nothing. And it's it, it's borderline hilarious at this point, but uh, really really unique tape. It's it's it was a nice thing to uh, add to the collection. And uh, other than that, I didn't have much else time to do anything else. But those are those are the films and the well the things I should say that I watched. So that's all I got. All right, I guess I'm gonna go with Mike. Mike, what do you watch? Uh, I don't feel like I've had 
chance to watch much of anything. Um, I too watched Endgame and uh, thought it was amazing and epic and um, not not a bad moment in that three hours. Like it never, I never felt like a drug or anything. Um, so yeah, it was awesome. But I, I've I've kind of uh, kind of went down the well a little bit on watching some. Um, I'm a big fan of '80s teen sex comedies. There you go. So I kind of went back and rewatched some and um, and watched uh, watched one that I had, I'd never seen before. Uh, oh God, now I forgot the name of it. Um, well, I, I went back and I've watched some of my favorites, like uh, Up the Creek. Uh, that movie is awesome. It's almost, I, I consider it like the who's who of, of 80s teen sex comedies, because it's got, it's got a couple of the guys from Animal House in it. It's got, uh, um, oh, oh, it's got the guy who plays Pee Wee from the, um, uh, Porky's movies, and it's got uh, Julie Montgomery, who is in Revenge of the Nerds. Mm-hmm. Um, man, the other movie I'm trying to think of, it was actually, um, I had never seen it before, and it was actually directed by Sean Cunningham, of all people, so I guess that could tie into spring, us a little bit. Spring Break? Yeah, Spring Break, thank you. Um, oh, man. Corinne Wall back in the early 80s? Shit! <laughs> Oh man, the, the 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 lead singer of that band, Hot Date. Oh yeah, oh, yeah, man. yeah. That's Corinne Wall. Uh, oh wow, wow. Where my is my yeah my wife my wife to be is upstairs. I can start talking like this. this is, okay, <laughs> go ahead. So that was fun. I'd never seen it before, and what made me obviously what made me click on it is that it was uh, directed by Sean Cunningham. Um, you know, Sean Cunningham tells a story just like he does with the original Friday Thirteenth. No plot. Um, but, uh, a lot of great, uh, a lot of great teen fun. Um, you know, I also rewatched, uh, I watched Screwballs for the first time. That movie's awesome. Uh, and also rewatched Recruits. That movie is an amazing, uh, Police Academy in Canada ripoff movie, uh, with, uh, John Michael Thor is in it. So that, you know, that there is enough. Uh, what else did I, what else have I watched? Uh, that may have been it, but like, yeah, I've been kind of on my, uh, teen 80 sex comedy kick lately. And that's, that's really about it. I still want to see Seniors, because that's got, like, Dennis Quaid in it. Yeah, no, I've never seen Seniors either. Um, one of my, one of my favorite guilty pleasure ones, and I was going to watch it, rewatch it, and I hadn't had a chance to, uh, very early performance by Marissa Hargitay. Uh, and that's Jocks. Jocks. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen it. I, I love Jocks. I don't know why. It's not that great of a movie. But I love Jocks. That movie's awesome. And and one of the guys from Jocks is in Spring Break. Uh, yeah, this, um, but isn't, um, uh, oh, gosh, his, his name escapes him. He was in Bloodsport, and he's in Jocks. It's, uh, um... <clears throat> You know the big bushy hairy guy, uh, Ray Jackson from oh, uh, Og- Ogre from Revenge of the Nerds. Yeah, 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 but I can't think of his of his of his 
actual name. Yeah, I don't want to try because I think I'll screw it up. <laughs> I think it was Don. Isn't it Donald something or Donald Donald Gibb? Yeah. There, yep. That's it. That's kind of what I wanted to say, but I didn't think that was right. <laughs> I'm gonna kill you, man. Yeah. He's he's awesome and everything. But, I love that guy. Yeah. But was, my, my, I'm sorry, but my my two cents in like teen '80s sex comedies, hands down, my favorite, and it should be yours too because it's awesome. Just one of the guys. Yes. Oh, it is. It is. It's. It's definitely in the top five of '80s teen sex comedies. Probably in the top twenty of favorite comedies. To be honest, that movie is so awesome. So good. I actually have the poster somewhere. Oh, with sweet. The, with the football helmets. Yeah, yeah, holding the football helmets over her yeah. boobs. But the, yeah, but the the Spanish one that I saw is actually uh, since they you know. Football is different over there. I think she's actually uh, holding soccer balls. Like, I think I heard that somewhere. I think I heard another podcast talking about how on the poster she was holding soccer balls. And I'm like, wait a minute. No, she's holding football helmets. Cool. And, and that oh, that movie also has a very young... Um, uh, now I'm blanking on his name. Uh, oh, man. He was in uh, Hospital Massacre and Beastmaster. His name is uh, Jacoby. Jacoby. Ricky Jacoby. Something like that. Something like that. And I'm a big fan of his, even though I don't know his name. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, he because he's also in, he was in one of my favorite uh, '90s TV shows, uh, Parker Lewis Can't Lose. He plays Mikey on that show. But he was also in Bloody Birthday and Doctor Alien. And you know, I'll watch anything that's got him in it. He's awesome. All balls itch. It's a fact. That's right. That that is probably his best movie ever. <laughs> is that character? Yeah. All right. Well, did you watch anything else? I don't even know where where we're at. On this. <laughs> nope. That I'm was sorry. It. I just I had to. Kid, I had you to too. Gosh. Yeah, sorry. It, you you and I, Andy, should start our own um, podcast about teen <laughs> sex comedies. Um. No, I was done. That was it. That's what I watched. All right, well, uh, I was sort of saving Jason towards the end, but there's no way he can top this, so go ahead, Jason. Nope, not really. Uh, hey, uh, I also watched Endgame. Fantastic. Loved it. I didn't cry a lot. <laughs> um, I also watched The Dirt. I was excited about that. Is it any good? Like, I'm kind of torn. If I'm I'll be honest. Commit to it. Well, I was not a fan. I... I've always heard that the book is actually great. Okay, I I have read it just I've read it recently and it's awesome. Uh, and the, because they it's good really and because it, yeah, they really condense the the movie like, and they they skip over a lot of stuff because well, I mean they, they almost yeah yeah because it, it'd be like it'd be ten pounds of shit in a five pound bag, so. Um, I like the I like them both. I like the movie. I thought I thought it was yeah, okay. I think it's okay. But at the same time I was just like, you know, is this actually good? <laughs> you know, or is like is it just a story of Motley Crue like as a movie? I don't know that it's that good. Like is there arcs, you know, yeah, a little bit, but you know, really it's just craziness for 90 minutes and that you and i probably can't and don't want to relate to 
No, and you that's, know? that's my thing. Like, it's I'm, like, let's watch what people can do if they had no limits. Like, I don't, <laughs> I don't find entertainment and in, that, in entertainment watching a bunch of entitled, spoiled brat assholes doing whatever the fuck they want with no consequence. So, like, and I've never been a Motley Crue fan, probably for the same reason, so... Well, I've always liked Motley Crue. I dig the crew. I yeah, dig the crew. I've listened to them for a long time, and I like them, and and I like the music, and yeah. and I and you know me, it's a music movie, so I'm gonna like it no matter what. Yeah, it, but it, we had it comes. Yeah. Well, it comes off to me. It comes off. I mean, even though I liked it, it to me it just comes off. It doesn't like you said. It doesn't have like a story arc Was or it a narrative. A good it just, movie. I don't know. Yeah, it, it 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 almost seems like it's like a highlight reel. Yeah, mm. you know, it's just one. Okay, this happened, then and this happened, and this happened, and this happened, and it's yep. it doesn't. Um, yeah, it's it's all cobbled together, in and it gets to a certain point, but it doesn't have like a flow to it per se. Does that make sense? Yeah, and I think they try like hell to make you care about Nikki Six's storyline and arc and the band. And, and, you know, I don't want to compare anything to anything, but, you know, I watched the the Queen movie. I don't know, it did a better job of telling a story Mm -hmm. while just replaying facts. I mean, just retelling history. But I don't know, it just seemed not to compare... I just didn't think that this one, yeah, it came off a little more like this crazy thing, then this crazy thing, then this crazy thing, and then this, and then it's the end. So I liked it, but I don't know if you'll like it. And then I also watched Pet Cemetery. Oh, yay. And I fucking loved it. <laughs> I thought it was great. I loved the changes. I love everything about it. I thought it was super freaking fantastic. Better than the original. What? Said it. Oh, ouch. By far. I, I thought it was great. I'd say so, too, yeah. Yeah. I thought it was good. Damn. For real. And I haven't seen the original in so long, that, so I can't really make that declaration just I yet. liked it better than the new It, also. It's, really? It's good. Yeah. Wow. Well, I don't know if I could go that far, but, but it's damn good. It's damn good. Hey, that's what I watched. What about you, Ted? What are you up to? Well, I watched Endgame also. Uh huh. Uh huh. Um, did not did not cry, but I didn't I didn't uh, get up to pee at all during the movie. I think the guy sitting next to Nikki was filming it with his phone. I don't know uh, what the fuck. People are stupid. Anyways, uh-huh. uh, there's uh, a few necks I wanted to crack in the theater I was in. So yeah, I I can concur. I might have the longest list out of everyone, and I didn't have anything until we started recording. Then I was <laughs> thinking, and uh, just check your letterbox, right? Because you keep well, up no, on I, it. I'm not. I haven't been keeping up on it. Oh, um, oh I know. I look, but I've been keeping up with uh, the last drive-in with Joe Bob. Have you guys? Mm-hmm. Sadly, no. no. I haven't had a chance. No. Yeah, I haven't had a chance to watch this past one. Damn it. Well, I caught. Uh, Two movies for the first time. Wolf Guy, I'd never seen. Well, I did. Fun. I did see that week. Yeah, and, and Wolf Guy is awesome. Yeah, and I watched uh, Demon Wind this week, which I had oh. never even heard of, and that was a blast with him because that movie's really fucking dumb but entertaining. Mm-hmm. 
and uh, that's to me like the perfect Joe Bob movie. And it was a great double <laughs> feature because the next one was House of the Devil, which was one of my favorite movies. Oh wow! Absolutely yeah. love that movie. So to me, it was a great double feature that's of like awesome, goofy, bad horror, like devil cult type thing, and then a very good one to me. Like House of the Devil is one of the best. So it was a good balance. I uh, am still loving this show. I've been trying to catch them live as much as I can. This week I watched all of it live from the beginning to end, and uh, it's fantastic double feature. I went back and I watched um, The Disaster Artist again. Still love that one. Still a lot of fun. Probably Sweet, even yeah. better on, on a rewatch. And I saw Leica Studios' new movie, Missing Link, in theaters, unlike anyone else, because no one else has apparently <laughs> seen this movie. Another... Um, financial flop for them but another uh great movie still not beating paranorman for my favorite of theirs but it's very funny very well done their their uh animation is hard to beat what's it called again missing link i okay it took i was about ready to say i haven't even heard of that one but yeah it just finally clicked yeah plays the big plays a bigfoot and uh, it's not a, it's not really a spoiler. The, the storyline is pretty funny. This explorer goes uh, looking for Bigfoot. He gets an, like an anonymous letter that says, you know, come here. He lives here. He shows up. And the Bigfoot had sent him the letter. And that's just like in the first couple of minutes. Huh. And you, th- you think, where are they going from here? Well, the Bigfoot wants to go find his... Uh, he wants to go find Yetis because he thinks that's like his uh, distant family. He's... All by himself is Bigfoot and wants to find his own kind. So he basically lures in this uh, explorer to take him to find his family. So the movie actually is him and this explorer traveling across the world looking for the the Yeti. And uh, very good, very heartfelt. That one had me uh, more emotional than Endgame. But but Zach Galifianakis was a perfect casting to play. Uh, the Sasquatch in this. So perfect. Mm-hmm. Awesome. And uh, last but not least, I watched. I haven't really watched a whole lot of horror outside of Joe Bob, but I watched this new series on Netflix. I watched the entire first season in one sitting uh, just last night. The episodes are like 17 minutes long. It's so, so, so funny. It's called I Think You Should Leave with Tim Robinson. And, oh, uh, yeah, I've seen the trailers for it on Netflix. Yeah, yeah. and Tim Robinson, uh, you probably don't remember him, but he was a cast member of SNL for one season. Uh, he didn't get a lot of airtime, but when he did, he was hilarious. He's been a writer on the show, I think, since 2013, and he still is currently a writer. And the vibe I get from this show is that uh, he's taking all these all the sketches that are too really, really too weird and out there and offensive for SNL, and he puts them on this show. And god damn, it's funny. It's like <laughs> a mixture of Kids in the Hall, um, Strangers with Candy, and Tim and Eric. It's, Holy oh my shit. god. Man. Yeah, like, this show is so addicting. Like I said, I sat through, we did not stop, I did not get up to get anything to eat or drink. We sat and watched the entire season in one sitting last night, and it only took like two hours, so... It's very, very good. I highly recommend if you're uh, into really weird, uh, funny comedy, you know, check that out. I love it. So that's what I watched. Awesome. Yeah. Cool. All right. So we should get into our topic at hand, which we are talking about 
the films of John Carl Beekler. Um, you know, and we're going to be doing four different films. I kind of tried to pick a variety of films uh, that feature him as an effects artist and, and films that feature him as a director and like films that kind of feature both. So, so uh, Jason, what is going to be our first film that we're going to discuss th this evening? The first film we're going to talk about tonight <clears throat> is from 1986, Troll. Once upon a time when the world was filled with wonder, little creatures shared the earth with humans, and magic was a way of life. Once upon a time is now. Empire Pictures presents Troll. The weirdest, the rowdiest, the most mischievous, and the scariest little creature of them all. What he's doing is going from apartment to apartment and transforming sections of this building into different fairy worlds. Where the hell are you? The transformation is going to begin on the Witch's Sabbath, the very same day that the Potters move into their new apartment. I've never seen so many guys take so long to move so little furniture. It's all your records, honey. You gotta get rid of some of these records. Sometimes I wonder what I'm gonna do. No, there ain't no cure for the summertime blues. What the Potters don't know is that they've just moved into the building that is the enchanted gateway to the ancient world of Troll. Shut that damn door! Harry Jr. is about to be drawn into a world beyond his wildest fantasy, and he'll need a little magic of his own to get out of it alive. Harry Potter Jr. expected to have a little trouble getting adjusted in his new neighborhood. Expected anything like this. Troll, where myths and legends come to life. So, yep, yeah, directed by John himself, um, but it was also written by Ed Naha, who did Dolls, Chud 2, Bud the Chud, Bud the Chud. Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. <laughs> and the sequel. Written. Same guy who did Troll. Anyway, so a description of Troll. Basically, uh, the, the Potter family has just moved to a rented apartment in San Francisco. Harry Potter Sr. and his wife Anne are bringing the packages to the apartment while their son, Harry Jr., and their little daughter, Wendy, Wendy Ann, plays on the sidewalk. Wendy goes to the laundry room in the basement where she meets the wicked troll, Torok, that uses... <coughs> uses his magic ring to possess Wendy and uses her form to transform the dwellers and the apartment and their apartments into other trolls and his kingdom. 
Harry Jr. feels that something is wrong with his sister and seeks out the help with the good witch Eunice St. Clair that lives in the building. Yeah, wacky little film. <laughs> Harry Potter with Elaine from Seinfeld. What is this wacky movie? And Sonny Bono, the neighbor. Yeah, craziness. This, the supporting cast Did in this you? is awesome to me because you got you got Julia Louise Dreyfus and Brad Hall. At this time in their careers, they both were cast members on Saturday Night Live, and then the same year they got married. Um, and Brad Hall is the guy who plays her boyfriend in the movie. Um, you got you got Gary Sandy, who I was really excited to see because he's from WKRP in Cincinnati. Knew it. And then you got June Lockhart. Um, you know, one of TV's greatest moms ever. She was the mom on Lassie and the mom in Lost in Space. And I always thought, you know, she was a really hot mom. But even still, she's a very beautiful woman. And you know, in in her um, o- older years too. So, uh, and then like, and then you know, the main cast is pretty cool too. You got Michael uh, Morardi, uh, who was a regular in Larry Cohen's movies. He was in The Stuff and Q the Winged Serpent. And then Harry Potter Jr. was Noah Hathaway, uh, who was the lead in The NeverEnding Story. So, And of course, Treyu, Sonny Bono. <laughs> the best for last. I, I, know. I do have to point something out. Did you guys um, notice how familiar the, uh, the setup of the apartment was? It was a different color, but it's from a. I I swear to God, I went I went on YouTube, and I looked at it, and it's painted a different color, but it's 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 got to be the same damn place. This apartment complex has the same um, structure, same staircase, same setup as uh, you know the hallway with the the, the banister and everything. Spit it, it out, exact- man. <laughs> It's exact. Sorry, it's exactly the same as Crawl Space. Whoa! You know, I wouldn't be surprised if it was the exact because uh, that was an Empire picture as well. Crawl Space. Yeah, I, it's it's painted a different color, but it's the the exact same setup. I mean, it's not uncommon. You see a lot of names of uh, you know people behind the scenes um, over and over again in in Empire pictures and Full Moon. So. And John Carl Beekler did uh, effects work on Crawl Space, so I wouldn't be surprised. And and a lot of the a lot of his choices in casting are people that he's casted in um, other films that he's done, or he's worked with in other films. So yeah, yeah, like Phil Fonda kind of Phil Fonda, yeah, you know, he's great. He plays the troll, and he also plays the. Um, the uh, the dwarf in the English, movie. the yeah. English professor. Thank you, the Mal- English professor. Yeah, uh, Mal- and and uh, John Carl casted him because they worked together on uh, Dungeon Master. So, and I mean, you know, speaking of crawl space, doesn't Klaus uh, Kinski play the mushroom in the witch's apartment? <laughs> Quite. Po- I thought it was like. Princess Toadstool from Super Mario Brothers. <laughs> <laughs> and plus, the other thing, I'm just like, you ever notice, like, when he uses this ring that, you know, turns people into, like, pods and trolls? I mean, like, 
I think there must be like meteor shit inside that <laughs> inside that fucking ring because it completely turns it into like you know Jody Varel's living room in fucking Creep Show. Just like, <laughs> meteor shit. So yeah, Jason, what did you think of Troy? I wanted to like it more. <laughs> I get it, but I don't know how good it. I don't know. It was pretty disjoint. It was pretty clumsy and clunky. I can agree with that. That's the that was. I mean, I, I've seen worse. You for <laughs> you've made me watch worse. <laughs> but uh, this is by far the worst Harry Potter movie. Right. That's what I'm trying to get at. I wonder if John Carl ever thought to sue. Yeah, Harry Potter magic using. I know it's a little too coincidental. There's a lot of similarities. Yeah, enough to be funny anyway, but. Or a real court case. No. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I I mean, I had fun watching it for uh, John's makeup stuff. You know, more more so than the story and the directing of that story. But Yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't know. I kind of wonder... I kind of wonder what he had to work with. You know what I mean? I also I'm, I'm not now. I don't want to. I don't want to go into this whole episode saying that I think he's like an amazing director, or that he's even the best effects artist. Because I take a lot I of uh, issues of with statements yeah. with uh, with both those things yeah. with this movie. Doesn't mean I don't love the guy, but I know like I also know how Charles Band works. Yeah, you know, and I I had read that the original concept of this movie was going to be more like a slasher film where the trailer the troll was going from apartment to apartment just killing people. But Charles Band wanted a more of a fantasy f- f- uh, family friendly film. That's a lot of Fs. Mm-hmm. So, I kind of wonder if like if maybe you know pages were getting written on the spot, you know, because it, 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 you're right. It feels really disjointed. I, I at the end of the movie, I'm okay. like, what happened? You know, like the the way to defeat the troll is the troll basically defeats himself at the end right. of this movie. So, and then which char- yeah. which band is it? Uh, Charlie's the producer guy. Which one's the music guy? Richard. Richard. I'm not sure the score was that. I wasn't a. I don't remember liking it very well either, but yeah, it was, anyway, I don't know. It was a serviceable, but I mean, it it didn't stand out to me either way. Right, like, it's something great or something annoying as hell. Like the the um, the weird chanting noises, I thought was kind of cool. But other yeah. than that, I thought Sonny Bono was great. <laughs> he was over the top, wonderful. Mister mm-hmm. Dickinson, wrong apartment, and then he slams the door. Shit. <laughs> yeah. That's, that, that was that was gold, and uh, that fucking snakeskin wallpaper all over that Marines. Uh, I'm just like his whole like it's his whole damn apartment was upholstered in snakeskin. Do you notice that? So that was my thing. Like I'm watching this, and I remember watching this movie as a kid. I about every other weekend, um, my parents and I would go to Des Moines because I have a sister that lives up there, and we would spend the weekend with her and her family. And it was cool going to her house because she had extended cable. Whoa. So she, she had HBO. And the first thing I'd do is I'd find that HBO catalog that 
she would get in the mail and flip through it and map out my weekend and what I was going to watch. And and one, in one weekend, in one setting, in one day, I watched Critters and Troll back to back. It was awesome. And nice. I thought it was I thought the movie was great and like and but it definitely does not hold up to that first viewing or even the second or third viewing. It's been a while since I've watched it, but uh um but I'm watching it this last time and I'm I'm I, I I'm kind of more interested when they have that moment in the hallway where they introduce all the wacky sub characters, the marine guy, the Sonny Bono dude and you know June Lockhart and then the and then the couple like yeah. I'm like I just kind of want to watch a movie with with the the wacky adventures going on in this apartment building with these different characters forget the troll yeah, part just call it the stairwell and then just <laughs> yeah do that movie would you say think Tad you hadn't said much Oh man, I don't know. Like, <laughs> like I said, this is the uh, worst Harry Potter movie, but I can't pretend it wasn't entertaining. Sure. Uh, you know, if nothing else, like a scantily clad uh, Julie Louis Dreyfus hopping around at a young age—that's something that keeps my attention. Yeah. Uh, just, I guess she's she's extremely embarrassed about this role. Uh, uh, she should be. <laughs> from what? Well, from what I, I read on IMDb. Uh, which is not always the best source, but it said that uh, Jay Leno, as a joke, brought a clip on last, like when she was on in like 2013, and she was not happy about it. And uh, I guess, like, I also was reading in the trivia because I just I had no idea. Like, like if if you guys uh, suggest movies or bring them up on this podcast that we're gonna watch, I try not. I don't read a thing about them because I'm gonna watch it anyways. I've owned this movie for God knows how long because it was part of the troll. You know, I have like a DVD. It's Troll One and Two, yeah. and uh, I never had a reason to watch Troll One because I've seen Troll Two and that's the best. So you know, <laughs> finally, it. until you made me watch this, I had no idea she was in it. But when I was reading the trivia, apparently, uh, she also was upset because the magazine Cinefantastic, Cinefantastic uh-huh. magazine. Uh, published a picture of her on the set topless and uh, oh. without her permission and so she was very upset about that too uh, so yeah I don't know like all the trivia in the page seems to be about her because obviously she came out to be one of the you know bigger stars from from the movie I mean uh, Sunny was already a star before this and then she was a star after this but uh, it's so wonderfully weird I mean you look back at some of these types of movies and you think, you know, how the fuck did this get made? You know? <laughs> like someone saw this on paper and like you guys sort of said, the the redeeming the look of the troll is about the only redeeming thing in the movie. Yeah. Uh yeah. It, but I can't like I said, I can't pretend like it's not entertaining and that's to me, you know, the biggest crime a movie can can do is not being entertaining, so True. I'm not going to rewatch this anytime soon, but uh, <laughs> it would definitely be a fun movie to watch with a group of friends. Who, uh, just because of the names that you recognize in the cast, you're like, "What are they all doing in this movie?" And you know, and then you and then you can say, "Well, just wait till you see the second one." <laughs> <laughs> you thought that was good. <laughs> yeah, I I I really thought that when Torok the um, the gob uh, tr- shit gobbler. The troll, the uh, when he when he turns Mallory 
into an elf, you know. I mean, he didn't look like, you know, Phil Fondacaro. I was just like, I, I didn't know what the hell to make out of it, man. It was just like, it was like, it looked like a Dr. Spock evil Japanese Yakuza pygmy or what, what I, right. I couldn't, I don't know what the, I was just like, that doesn't look like him. It, so, it was weird. Well, that was the, that's the inconsistency of like everything that happens to the individuals in this movie. Sonny Bono, you know, he gets it the worst. He turns into this pod thing that sprouts all the vines and and then some gobliny creatures. And that transformation was pretty cool. That it's I like it. that it's like they spent all the time on that scene yeah. and then like, oh, we're out of time and money for the rest of the movie. Mm. Uh and then you got uh Gary Sands who also turns into like creatures, but then you got Julia Louise Dreyfus who just turns into Julia Louise Dreyfus that sparkles and is naked. You know, so it's it's rather inconsistent. But and I and I was talking before how like you know some of the effects are pretty poor in this. Some of them are awesome. Like yeah. the main troll makeup yeah. is amazing. It looks great. You see a lot of emotion in that oh, yeah. in that makeup. Which and is it's great. Big and imposing, yeah. and yeah, it's great. The Sunny Bono transformation was good. Yep. Um, I, one of my favorite shots is from the outside of the apartment building toward in the third act, and and like you know the vines are like sprouting out of the top of the building. I thought that looked pretty cool. Um, but then you get like some of those like small little troll gremlinly creatures or whatever. They look nothing more like. Um, Triumph the Insult Comic Dog, right. you know, and the, as far as the puppetry work goes, like the whole face, you know, tries to move the mouth, but the whole face just contorts on itself, you know, you see the folds and the wrinkles of all of it in the latex, and not very good, not very good at all. And it, it's crazy because there's a, there's a mix of some great stuff and some not so great stuff, you know. It's, it's, it's weird, the inconsistency. Yeah. From a guy who knows how to do special effects, but it's like ghoulies though. Half of those half of those creatures in that movie are like ghoulies, because like yeah. the ghoulies designs are cool, and and they look good standing still, but they are nothing more but latex puppets that move mm-hmm. horribly and are <laughs> and are not. You know, and they look like puppets. They look like you could tell somebody's hand is shoved up the. You, you know how it works, there. though. You have to give them the benefit of the doubt on prior a lot of it, just time and money and. Oh, I, I would know. imagine. I think. That's I think it was like things twenty fail. days. I think I read that this movie took to shoot. So. Yeah. This movie's kind of connected in Ghoulies in a way. Now that you mention it, because Phil was in number two, and that's right. Uh, yeah. Beekler directed number three, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and Beagle did obviously the effects on all, th- on all three of them. All three of them, yeah. Yeah. I don't know if he did the one in four. I don't know if he did the effects in four, though. Is that back to college? But, no, three is back to college. Oh. Four is the one um, Jim Wynorski directed, oh, which right. is unrelated to the other three at all. Smart. So. Number number two is my favorite. So. Yeah, well, I like it because of the whole circus atmosphere. And, Absolutely. Yeah. <clears throat> So yeah, um, yeah, troll. <laughs> it is troll a better 
made film or worse than Troll 2? I'd say it's a better made movie. It's a better made movie. Okay. Yeah, it's definitely but better. not as entertaining. It okay. has a troll in it, actually. So, <laughs> I mean, that's, that's plus one. Yeah. Not quite as entertaining as two. That's right. The performances are inconsistent in this movie, too. Like... The, the kid, Harry Potter Jr., I thought he was bad. I thought Dad's all over the place. As much as I love him, but he's just all over the place. I kind of liked I kind of liked his I choices. Like him too. Yeah. 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 It's just crazy. Just like And I thought June Lockhart was really good, you know. And all all the sub characters I thought were really good, but the kid the the, the main boy, he just I don't know. <laughs> he is very punchable. Uh, it's Harry <laughs> Potter for you. Yep. All right, we ready to move on? Yeah. Okay, let's do this. So, um, Tad, what's our next film? Our next film is Cellar Dweller. That's the ghost of Colin Childress. 30 years ago, he butchered a woman with an axe and then set himself on fire. It's dark, it's gloomy, it's filled with terror. (laughs) Don't even think about going down there. So why can't people stay out of the cellar? I love to be frightened. If you love to be frightened, then this cellar is the place to be. Terrorized, her life becomes a nightmare when she won't stay out of the basement and is snared by the evil cellar dweller. This movie, another one directed by John Carl Beekler, was actually written by Don Mancini, which I did not know until like right before this episode, <laughs> because he's credited as Kit Dubois. Dubois? Dubois? I don't know even how to pronounce that. Dubois? Dubois. Yeah. French? I don't but know. Uh, is that a common like pen name? when you don't want to be credited with a shitty movie? <laughs> <laughs> well, my my writing mentor uh, actually taught Don Mancini. So, hopefully, but, he did, I, you know, hopefully maybe this was one of his first ones he wrote. Uh, this one I thought was pretty fun, but uh, the story is pretty simple. It opens up with Jeffrey Combs, which is cool. Uh-huh. Yep. As a comic book artist and uh, or a cartoonist and he's finishing a horror comic and accidentally casts a spell which causes his drawings to come alive and uh, I believe he commits suicide and then we flash forward decades and we meet a new new comic book artist Whitney Taylor uh, which I'm like there's an attractive woman doing comic books yeah right (laughs) and uh, (laughs) She moves into this house with a bunch of other artists, which was sort of a bit confusing to me. But then we find out it's the house. You know, Jeffrey Combs' character uh, died in the basement. She finds the 
unfinished comic in the basement, and so she wants to finish it, only to find out that as she uh, continues to draw it, she brings back the cellar dweller, and uh, this creature continues to murder. So that's basically the, the plot of this one. Did I miss anything? I don't think so. I think that's pretty simple. I thought the opening was really cool. Uh, right away, another one of those instances where I did not look into this one, just started watching it, and I'm like, right away, oh, hell yeah, Jeffrey Combs. And then, like, two minutes later, I'm like, oh, hell no, they killed Jeffrey Combs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, the, the comics themselves are really cool. I love the concept of, you know, I don't know if they uh, had a little bit of a, you know, a... a off-brand creep show feel to it with the comic book uh, panels and stuff. But that's not necessarily a bad thing uh, other than the fact that it reminded me of a better movie. But <laughs> there, was, there was like a bunch of little things in this movie that remind me of better movies. I mean, obviously, anytime I see Jeffrey Combs, I think Reanimator. And uh, the monster was sort of cool, you know. The cellar dweller himself was cool. It, this one, uh, I don't know. I'm sort of split on it. It was short and quick. And it felt like it flew by. Another one that was super entertaining for me. There was I, I did I did feel that the side characters were a bit um, boring, and I felt like this sort of after watching it. Like I watched it right after Troll, and it sort of blended into it in a way that uh, not necessarily that they're any similar in story wise, but they're just sort of that that same of the same time and the feel of the movies in general, you know, not huge budget, but sort of cool creatures. Uh, but I, I dug this one. Um, like I said, outside of, uh, Jeffrey Combs, I didn't recognize much of the cast, but I'm sure you guys, uh, are, or you're more up on the, uh, cult actresses. Who, who am I missing in this movie that I, I should know? Yvonne DiCarlo from the Munsters. Okay. Mrs. Briggs, the older lady. Oh, she okay. Her- Herman Munster's wife. Okay, yeah, I didn't... Uh, I'm on the IMDb page, and I can see that now. That's <laughs> cool. <laughs> um, I, I, do, I, I do gotta agree with you. Uh, uh, an attractive woman who does comics, and she has a reanimator poster on her wall when she mo- she's already just moved in, okay? That's right. a freaking... She's a keeper, man. That's a fucking unicorn. Um, <laughs> wow. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, this, like, uh, the, the Norman, he seemed like uh, that, the older the older gentleman that, that lived there, he's like a... He seemed like a throwback to all those film noir detectives, like the the Sam Spades, you know, like the the Maltese Falcon kind of shit. Um, but I agree with you. The, the drawings in this movie were really detailed and very and very and very good. Uh, yeah, I, I can't. I'm not. I don't. I don't really have much to to say about this. Nothing really, you know, super stood out to me other than like the the artwork. I really liked. Uh, she had but, this sort of like, what was it? Uh, another artist that was in the house. She had some kind of back history with that didn't like her, and then obviously the woman who ran this art artist house. I don't know what is this like a artist a residency or something that you have like a, to a retreat or something. I'm yeah. I'm not sure. I, I thought really... at one point they said it was a school, but I know. I just I thought 
I know it was like a house. Yeah. I know three, at least three of us went to art school, and I don't remember any of it being like this fucking place. No. That's all I know. No. It was not, yeah, I never went <laughs> into some old lady's house and had to like, had to get berated every fucking second I'm there. <laughs> um, uh, I, I will say that this movie is the first time I've ever seen anyone conquer the forces of evil with whiteout. Right, just, uh, that's that's some that's some unique shit. I'll give you that. I, I don't know if it's if it's good shit, but it's definitely unique. Oh man, I thought that too for a second. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. This movie's okay. I I remember watching it back in the day because I had the Fangoria with 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 the creature right on the cover. It, it got the cover story that month, you know. And I'm like, oh, I gotta check this out. That monster's badass and i just remember being like yeah that was okay completely forgettable and even now i've already forgotten watching it this time it's just like troll it's like he's just kind of in the distance they kind of look a lot (laughs) the same anyway to me i guess i don't know are we raking john over the coals before we like you know bring him back up this is a tribute (laughs) well like mike said was he's it's not that he was the best at things but the best He's thing we can it. do is be honest with yeah. ourselves. There you right? go. That's sure, right. sure. And I mean, the design is is awesome. Oh yeah. And thought, oh yeah. I don't know. It's, it's good. I thought the comic art was fucking. Well, great the comic too. art was great too. But and, that, and that's the, that's the thing that 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 gets me. Like I can understand an a talent a talented effects artist design creates a cool looking effect, but it's not executed properly in the film. And that's on the director and the DP and the way it's shot, or even the editor and the way it's edited. But he Who's had all overseen he was the by director, him. right? <laughs> so there were moments where, like, the monster even looked cool in its movement, but other times it was like you know close up of hands and stuff, and the fingers are not bending the right way, you know. Yeah. And it's it just comes off clunky, clunky as all get out. Again. Yeah. yeah. But the design is really freaking cool. It's a cool monster, and and I will give him credit too that a creature of that size is not hard, is not easy to nope. maneuver around to get to do what you want it to do. So, and maybe that has a lot to do with it too. Why it doesn't get a lot of screen time? And I think that maybe that was my original disappointment in the movie is that the you know you had this the whole movie was sold on this creature, and it doesn't get a ton of screen time. You know, um, but watching it this time, the movie is okay. I think Troll Two, just on a pure entertainment, or Troll, uh, Troll One, on a pure entertainment level, is is probably more entertaining than this. This is only like seventy seven minutes, and I found myself kind of bored in, uh, at some moments. Mm-hmm. Where yeah. Troll just keeps going, we just don't yeah. know what direction it's going, but it's going. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but this one um, just it kind of drags its feet a little bit, and I think again probably budgetary that they couldn't afford to show the creature a lot, so they have to throw in a ton of you know, exposition and head talking scenes and whatnot. So yeah, I was really kind of yeah. hoping I'd like this better than how when I remembered it, and it kind of feel the same way about it. I sort of just like hated everybody. I mean, it's just a bunch <laughs> of a- assholes bickering in this thing, this house right. that I was trying to figure out. You know why why they were having an art s- school in a house? It's like it, it felt like you know when 
there's like dancers that all live together in a in a house and you know share a room and then they go and do their dance lessons it's sort of like like in Suspiria or something but they're all artists that have different mediums and it was just uh didn't make any sense and I, I was like am i thinking this is right and then i just start losing interest when i when i don't i just didn't care you know so yeah it's a bummer yeah i like i liked her i liked the idea but then yeah it just got a little too clunky with the exposition and darn it well and then i also i'm like secretly in my head i'm like i really love the seller i kind of mm. wish i'd be watching that <laughs> yeah this isn't the same at all yeah seller is actually a pretty <laughs> in fun the title too. yeah <laughs> but what's nice if you're listening to this and you haven't seen this and uh you for some reason still want to after our glowing <laughs> review. It's yeah. it's in its entirety on YouTube. Sure is. And I thought that I mean because there was two versions that I found on YouTube, and one of yeah. them had horrible sound. Right. So I watched the oh, smaller yeah. one too. So I watched the you know because yeah. the the one with horrible sound claimed to be like a hundred and thirty some minutes or right. whatever, and yeah. and this one and this one was like. Like an hour... An 18 or something like it's supposed to be. And I'm like, oh, is this a cut version? Should I be watching it? But according to IMDb, yeah, the movie itself is only 77 minutes. It's a little dark and it's in 4.3, but it's... Yeah. That's good. It had like Greek subtitles or something. And 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 I'm not surprised of, you know, a film produced by Charles Band to not be... to be way under an hour and a half. See, that's... And, and that's where, like, I'm... I, I'm standing up for John and say I we have we also have something else in common with these two clunky films <laughs> and that's Empire Pictures. Yeah. Yeah, I, right. you're There's right. Something I, to be th- said we can't there. put it all on John. No. And cuz John I mean Charlie Band yeah, just you know, whips him out and doesn't care and he probably didn't get a lot of support and not a lot of money in time. So but he, he he's good at giving opportunities, but yeah, you know, maybe it wasn't for the best. But yeah, Ch- Charlie Band is a, also common denominator in these two films. It's a great point. It's a great point. All right. Well, cool. Um, well, unless somebody else has anything to say on Cellar Dweller, we'll move on to the next one. So this one we're gonna do. It's a, uh, we're not gonna do one that he directed, but one he definitely did the effects for. Um, and we're going to discuss now, uh, Hatchet. Once upon a time, there was a boy named Victor Crowley. Folks weren't too kind of Victor, so he stayed hidden in his daddy's house, out in the bayou. One night, some mean children came to his house, and there was a bad fire. When his daddy chopped down the door to save him, he didn't know Victor was pressed against the other side. And poor Victor Crowley died. They say people disappear in those woods. And legend has it, if you get close enough to the old Crowley house at night, you can still hear Victor Crowley. 
Roman in the woods, crying for his daddy. So Hatchet, uh, Adam Green's movie, uh, um, John Carl. Beekler did the uh, makeup effects uh, for for this film. Um, when a group of uh, tourists in a New Orleans haunted swamp tour uh, find themselves stranded in the wilderness, you know the, uh, the the ghost of Victor Crowley comes to stalk them in the swamps and take them out one by one. So I've always loved this movie from day mm-hmm. one. Ever seen it? It took me a while to understand. Oh, yeah. Adam's what? I said, hell yeah. Oh, okay. Just agreed. I thought you said, oh yeah, as if you were going to disagree with me. Yeah, yeah you want to you go? <laughs> I'm Take sorry. to the swamp. It took me a while to truly understand Adam's direction. He was wanting to go with this film franchise. Because when I saw the first one, I didn't see... I mean, obviously, there's a lot of comedy in it. Uh-huh. I get that. Yeah. I get that. But the first viewing, I, f- I felt like I was really watching an homage, a straight homage to, like, the Friday 13th franchise. Yeah. And I loved it. And then when the fact is, is like, two, uh, 2 through 4 definitely goes down much, much, much more comedic path. Like, I felt like it started to stray, but... Which, not, not fully understanding that Adam's vision from the beginning was this is just comedy. Right, which makes it weird to imagine you straying on a decision based on more comedy. But <laughs> but you did have a little falling out there for a while. Well, I, originally I hated two. For the yeah. longest time I hated part two. You did. And, uh, and I still stand by um, uh, how I feel about... Uh, Tony Todd's motivation in the final final moment of the movie. Yep. It still doesn't make any damn sense to nope. me. But mm-hmm. but I'm definitely far more forgiving of the film knowing now that this is all just goof, goofy comedy. Like, I'm, I, I, you know, I, I know what you're saying about me and my sensibilities, <laughs> but uh-huh. for me, if I'm going to make... You were f- putting a lot of hope in bringing back a re- serious-based icon. Yeah, really- kind of, yeah. Uh-huh. Understanding that, you know, I, I didn't want these to be the Saw movies by any stretch of the imagination. I wanted them to be Friday the 13th, where it can be it can be fun and scary, and but funny at the same time, whether it's intentional or not. You know, I mean, 6 is still my favorite of the Friday the 13th films, and that one is, that one's a comedy, so... Mm-hmm. But it's just, it doesn't, it doesn't take those, those horror moments to a comedic level, and Hatchet does. Just because it's over, but the it's top. okay. Yeah, because some because the that scary stuff moments is over are top. scary and serious, but they are over the top. But the, but realizing too that this franchise is over the top from moment one. Mm-hmm. You know, you 
rips that guy's head off head off at the jaw there. It's freaking beautiful. The be- my favorite shot. Yeah, it's probably still the best kill of the, of the series. My my favorite kill. But see. I hated the power sander. Huh? It de- it makes no sense. Gas powered. There's... It's real. Oh Christ! <laughs> the... <laughs> Name one goddamn carpenter that that oh, that uses a gas powered sander. You know it's funny. Victor Crowley. That's right. <laughs> you know it's funny. Oh, he, he carpenters people. Yeah, it's my sorry, my mistake. I can't remember who if it was Adam's idea for the belt sander or if it was the effects guy, but somebody was like. You can't do that because Adam tried to. He he said he almost in the eleventh hour he he almost backed out of it because he's like it doesn't exist it's not real. He got nervous and and put the kibosh on it and was going to change it, but then the effects the special effects guys were like, if I can build one that works for real, then will it be okay? It'll exist in the real world world as a working gas powered belt sander, and Adam's <laughs> finally like. If you can make it real, and make it really exist, then I'll be okay with it. And like, and we're talking like we got two hours to shoot. <laughs> yeah. So the guy ran off, built this out of spare parts in the wagon, and came back and did it. So one exists. One. Anyway. <laughs> There's one. So this is a real actual one. <laughs> I mean, in the After Effects was pretty kick-ass, the way yeah. they built her prosthetic and oh yeah, absolutely. absent chin stranglies and what? <laughs> I I dig the uh, um, when he sticks the uh, the shovel in the ground and then just impales that person with the handle with the. You know, they just kind of slide down the the handle of the shovel. Yeah, he has to push down, and you're like, yeah, "Oh, yes, yes." Like it always seems like in every movie before that, oh, they just fall on and slide down. But like he was pushing them down on it. And I'm like, "Damn, that's brutal." Yeah. Well, I mean, gravity would have done it, you know, eventually. Well, I think just the dialogue we're having here shows the good <laughs> as the good and the bad because to me. We're, we're sort of uh, clearly highlighting that we love the kills, the gore, and the effects, but mm-hmm. we haven't said much about the the writing. And to me, that's the weakest part of the movie. But the good thing about that is, you know, John didn't direct this; he just did the special effects, and that's what we're praising. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Good point. Rewatching this for me, I've seen this several times, and I feel like every time I watch it the writing gets more cringy for me every time <laughs> I, uh, and the, not a the, good way but the 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 kills are always still they still live up to it for me still uh, up to that hype see yeah i felt that same way after i i hadn't watched this in years and after i just watched this recently i was just like uh well i don't know if uh, this yeah I, this it, it got more irritating I, for me a little bit I actually go the other way because I listen to the movie Crypt and I've been just soaking up everything Adam Green for the last few years now. And like, it's the more I get to know him without knowing him, but the more I get to know him, like it just makes, I don't know. So it was even easier to take for me his dialogue, his humor, his sense of humor, 
and the way his, his style of writing was. I don't know. Oh, yeah, he he is funny. It's just, uh, I don't know. Sometimes it's it falls. Sometimes it's really good, and sometimes it just falls a little flat with me. Mike, writing, Adam Green. You're a fan. I am. I think, I don't, I think the writing is good for, is for what the movie is, you know? Especially, especially as as this series goes, by the time we get to Victor Crowley, I feel like Victor Crowley is the best a written cl- one. A oh. calmer, a calmer, better made trauma movie. Because mm. there's like humor in that that is that that is like not in reality. <laughs> That mean? <laughs> and I'm not talking about any of the Victor Crowley stuff. There's like you know all these jokes on the plane. There's like that 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 joke on the plane that goes on and on and on, where uh, Adam Green uh, he's the pilot. He's, and he's going. And uh... Yeah, yeah. Which is funny, but that's that's almost airplane style, you know, jokes going yeah. on there. You know, and again, that's okay. You know, that's that's the way he wants. This franchise to go, you know, so be it. But understanding that if this is the style of humor we're talking, I'm, you know, I'm not going to expect Shakespearean dialogue either. So I think they're, I think they are written well for for the movies that they are. I mean, I still think there is some missteps in the writing in this franchise, um, and in in this film in particular as well, but. But I don't. Yeah, I don't know if I'd really knock the writing. I don't know. I mean, there there is funny stuff. I mean, just like I wrote this one line down. He just goes, "Tell me this is part of the tour." Oh yeah, I sink the boat every night. It's hilarious. <laughs> I, I I thought that was pretty damn funny. Oh, I I laugh quite a bit, but I'm just saying uh, some of it just I don't know what it is. It's like. So sometimes I hate to like compare it to it, but that's Eli Roth has the same type of thing for me sometimes where it feels like the, maybe at times they're trying too hard to be funny, like forcing it and it just doesn't feel real, but okay. yeah, like how people really talk. Uh, I forget his name, the dude from avatar, that's sort of the lead, uh, tall yeah, Joel, um, Tall, lanky guy from Edgerton. Uh, Joel Haley yeah. Osmond. No, but that the, <laughs> from Grandma's from Grandma's boy. Yeah. Um, Damn it! What he, is his name? I love him. He, Tails. So, he's so mopey in this one, and some of his lines are just so like groan-inducing for me. <laughs> there's there's one part of this that uh, uh, killed David Moore. Sorry. It, oh no, it's fine. I, it didn't make sense. The Shapiro character, which would be uh, Murray, uh, Joel, the, Joel Murray, oh, Joel, Joel, Mur- Joel Murray. Okay, uh, Shapiro. I mean, he gets he gets his head torn off, and he had the bag the whole time. He had a fucking flashlight in his bag the whole time, and he never used it. And then they're the ones that dig through it, and, and they get it. I mean, it just seemed like it was. It was just like, okay, they need a flashlight. Okay, well, let's just write down. It just seemed like it seemed too convenient to me 
uh, writing-wise, it's just like, okay, well, they need to get a flashlight. Oh, Shapiro had one in his bag. Well, if he had one in his bag, why the fuck wouldn't he be using it? Yeah. You and your logic. <laughs> well, I'm sorry. Uh, it doesn't make any sense. It's just a movie. Come on. <laughs> I remember when this came out, it was getting sort of a lot of praise from the not necessarily underground but the like hardcore horror fans and i i remember the the though the the catchphrase of it was like not a remake not a sequel and not a japanese one or something yeah because at the time it, it basically was like making fun of every popular horror movie and saying you know here's a new original but at the same time, it was clearly a nod to those 80 slashers. Yeah, because Freddy, Jason, and Candyman were all in it. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I always thought that was sort of ironic, but it did make me a fan of Adam Green's. I don't think it's his best movie by any means, but yeah, I, 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 I'm coming off as negative because um, I didn't enjoy it as, I, as much as I once did, but I do feel like... I mean, rewatched the sequels recently, and they're they're more fun. I don't know something. It just seems a little. Uh, the dialogue just came off a little corny to me this time around. The jokes didn't uh, hit me as well. I feel like the he's gotten a little more refined with his humor in in recent time. So, what is your favorite Adam Green? I knew it was coming. Ah, uh, Frozen. <laughs> Ready probably. to go. Yeah, Frozen. Frozen. Mm-hmm. I really want to watch Digging Up Tomorrow burn. again. Uh, Digging Up Tomorrow was I thought was really good. I, I, I enjoyed that. Yeah, I really like it. I watched it. I like it times. too. Yeah. Yeah. Don't don't get me wrong. I I do not I do not dislike this movie at, at all. I actually really enjoy it. It's just you know I maybe it just hasn't aged very well with me. You know. Uh, I mean, it's not like you know I don't dislike it now either. But I mean. Maybe I like I liked it a lot better when I saw it, you know, back in 06. I think maybe part of my problem with what took me a while to get accustomed to the fact that this series is is more of a more comedy than horror is the is the original teaser trailer. Like I associate the first movie with that original teaser trailer. And that original teaser trailer is serious and creepy as f. It's this a little girl, and you know, says shots of the bayou, nothing in it, and just this cre- and it's this creepy voice of this little girl, really echoey, telling the telling the story and the history of Victor Crowley, and it's played 100 percent straight. There's like, there's it's there's no comedy in that teaser. So, I I don't know. I, I know. I, I, I went into the movie knowing what that teaser was like. Yeah, you've heard him say a million times how. It was a hell of a movie to try to market, and oh yeah, back then you know horror and comedy weren't that meshed together like that, and yeah, sure do love it though. Oh yeah. Well, and again, I talk about how like I compare it to to trauma, but a well-made, well-produced trauma movie, a well-written trauma movie. And the fact that the comedy, I mean, 
Yes, you know, the, the whole Victor Crowley story and the kills and all Comedy that obviously is not in reality. Uh-huh. But when you have we have one actor, Perry Shin, keeps showing up in every single movie and he's playing a different <laughs> version of himself in every single movie, you can't take even the re- reality moments seriously. So Those effects sure were badass. Yes, see, and this was a good, a good example of a, of a good director showcasing those effects and making them look badass because yep. those effects are badass and john 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 beekler and his team did an amazing job mm-hmm. you know and he set the president of that look for victor crowley too i mean yep. that's, that's his, his design, design. Mm-hmm. yeah that's yeah great work you got to make an icon so mm-hmm. another a two maybe with the next one i mean he didn't make but but put a cool spin on oh it. Oh my gosh. Took yeah. it to another level. Well, I think that was a segue. I tried. Yeah. <laughs> I tried. So, so, Andy, what's our last film we're going to discuss? Well, um, our last film that we're going to discuss, first it was called Birthday Bash. <laughs> but, for those of you who uh, wanted, wanted want to know what it's really called... This is Friday the 13th, Part 7, The New Blood. This was directed by uh, JCB. And it goes a little something like this. This is the one you've been waiting for. What's happening to me? Your psychokinesis and these delusions. No, you're not listening to me! The one you've been asking for. Hey, Tina! Isn't this the way they wear their jackets back in the mental hospital? <laughs> concentrate. Concentrate, Dina. The one you've been dying for. You people give me the creeps. Okay, you big hunk of a man. Come and get me. Jason <laughs> is back. But this time... Someone is waiting. Friday, May 13th, the deadliest day of the year. There goes the neighborhood. Uh, the story is about Tina Shepard, played by Lar Park Lincoln, who 10 years previously uh, accidentally killed her father at Crystal Lake uh, through her uh, telekinesis. Uh, she did this because her father, John, liked to play whack-a-mole on her mother's head every time he gets shit-faced, which is apparently a lot. Uh, now, with the help of her mother and the, uh, the psychiatrist, they return to Crystal Lake to treat Tina in a kind of unorthodox uh, exposure therapy. Uh, however, uh, the doctor, uh, uh, he's played by Terry Kaiser... Uh, who Murder. went on? Yeah, exactly. I was. Uh, he played 
Bernie Weekend and Birdies, and he is a Omaha, Nebraska native, so he's kind of in our neck of the woods a little bit. Oh, nice. Uh, he, he's got this, this doctor, uh, Dr. Cruz. He's got ulterior motive, and he wants to exploit Tina's uh, powers for a book he plans to write. Uh, during a particular emotional therapy session, Tina uh, runs out to the dock where her father died. And emotionally distraught, she uses her powers to try and resurrect her father. Um, unbeknownst to her, she raises uh, Jason Voorhees instead. And with an on with this impromptu birthday party going on uh, next door, a group of young adults are easy pickings for good old JV's wrath. Uh, but he may have met his match in the frail form of Tina Shepard. Uh, I can't say enough damn good things about this movie, even though it had to be submitted to the rating board nine goddamn times in order to get an R rating. And it is a, personally, I think it's a freaking crime that there's not an uncut version of this movie. Yeah. And it's, and, and, and all, all the prints are gone and it, and it can't be made. But, and, but the closest thing I heard that you can get to it is the early release Dutch VHS. So if, you know, I would probably buy a bootleg copy of that just so I could see all anything extra that is in this movie. Um, this is when I was, I think I saw this around when I was 10 or 11 years old. And this is probably one of the movies that turned me into a pretty big horror fan. Uh, when, when I saw him fall through that freaking staircase after getting smashed into the lamp, I was just mm. like, oh my, this is straight up the shit. This is awesome. Um, this is the debut of the sleeping bag kill that, oh. they, that, they, that they redid in Jason X, only he got a few more whacks in Jason X because the MPAA had, you know, loosened their grip a little bit. Well, I'll tell you what, though. Like, yes, it's a damn shame that all the amazing effects that um, John's team did for this movie got got cut. But I, th I personally feel like that is one edit that I think ended up working in favor of the film. And the MPAA are, are just a pack of morons, and I don't care if they uh, uh. hear this episode. Um, they are. They're a pack of morons. I find that single thump to the tree far more disturbing than if he were to have whacked mm -hmm. it over and over and over again to the tree. I think I think it's far more effective that single that single crack. So there. Yeah, so suck it, MPAA. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um in interesting tidbit. Um uh you know, and I and I picked up these you know, from IMDb. IMDb, sorry. Uh, <laughs> JCB uh, wanted Paula Irvine to play uh, Tina, which she, but she was already uh, contractually obligated to play Liz in Phantasm Two. So, huh. uh, it also said that Walt Gorney, Crazy Ralph, does the narration of the uh, intro. Nice. Which is, uh, really? I think, is really cool. Yeah, that's what I it said. I didn't know that. 
Um, you've got some kind of horror royalty in here as well. Uh, Jennifer Banco plays the young Tina Shepard, who was also in uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3. Three yeah. Yeah. Um, you also have uh, Heidi Hadid, who plays Sandra, who gets dragged underneath the water. She was in Slumber Party Massacre 2. Yep. Uh, she was William the drummer. Hart. Yeah. Uh, William Butler, who plays Michael, who the birthday party is for, but he never makes it. Well, William Butler's been killed by everybody. Everybody. <laughs> yeah. He's been killed and, by... He's he's faced off against Leatherface. He's, a face, he's faced off against Romero zombies. He's faced off against Freddy Krueger, even, in an episode of uh, Freddy's Nightmares. Oh, nice. Uh, we have uh, Elizabeth... Uh, I hope I'm saying her name right. Catan. Catan, K- yeah. Catan. Uh, she's in Assault of the Killer Bimbos, Slave Girls from Beyond, Beyond Infinity, Infinity, and Silent Night, Deadly Night 2. She was yep. there on Garbage Day. <laughs> and That was her first film, Silent Night, Deadly Night 2. Nice. I believe she was a blonde in that. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. Uh, she's a blonde in most of her stuff. I think this is the only movie, this is the only movie I can think of where she's just full-on redhead. Cool. But I think she looks better as a redhead, personally. Me too. Uh, this, ah, yes, yes, I, I agree. Um, the the thing is, uh, and some people complain about this sort of thing, but this has every cliched, you know, stereotype demographic of a young adult in this movie. You've got the you you know the Richie bitch. You've got the. You've got the stoner, you've got a boy nerd who, well, he just is a nerd, but you have the girl nerd, but if she dolls herself up, she actually looks pretty. It's kind of like that she's all that kind of vibe. I think that's the, Um, I'm sorry, this is the one time in cinema history where a little bit of makeup did not change for the better. Well, well, it helped. But it's the character. You know, yeah, it helped. Um, There's... uh, Let's see. Uh, where was I? You interrupted me. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, all the teenage, teenage, uh, all the teenage, you know, stereotypes are there. And some people complain about that. I mean, me, me, I don't really give a shit. You know, it do, it's not that big of a deal to me if I know what exactly what I'm dealing with. Cool. If not, cool. I mean, that's it's never been a problem with me. Um. Of course, this is Kane's uh, debut as the character and still has all the classic, you know, head turns and, you know, the chest heave and the look of this Jason, since we're talking about John, uh, this is probably the best look in oh, my opinion. Oh, yes. Always it's hand, so. hands down, hands down the best. Uh, the stunts and the kills in this movie are, are great. Um, I'm assuming those are tent stakes that he's stabbing those yeah. people with, correct? Okay. Um, uh, I'm no, I don't, you know, before before the uh, the sleeping bag kill, I don't know too many people who chop wood with a machete. Uh, most people use an axe or a hatchet, but hey, whatever. Um, the like right when Tina and Jason finally meet uh from that point on the movie is just non-stop just awesome in my opinion from the time he gets to electrocuted to the time 
that that fucking house blows up. Uh, it's 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 great. Some of the, some of the, some of the deaths are are silly, like the party horn through the face, which is and it makes a little. The yeah, little I love honk. the fact that it makes that noise. It's awesome. Yeah. It's um. Oh man. Uh. You know, you have crew doing the typical, you know, chicken shit villain thing, and he holds a woman in front of him, and she dies. Uh, and the stoner, man. I mean, it's like, after watching this again recently, like, that, that David, every time that... He, the dumb shit that this guy says, <laughs> the more agonizing I want his death to be. Like, Hunter Caveman need nourishment. I'm just like, God, I want to fucking murder you. Um, the, I mean, like, like getting back to the kills, uh, the, uh, the golf swing that he does to Russell's face with that ax, I really wish they wouldn't have cut away from that. But when you see him later, you know, hanging from the trees where like, you know, Jason stores all his kills, you know, the ax wound in his face, I always, I thought that looked really, really good. Uh, but like this. The staircase, uh, him jumping through that bay window, uh, the porch collapsing on him, the fire, and Melissa's death was pretty gratifying, too. The, the axe to the face, and he, then he just chucks her across the room. Over the TV? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, God rest her soul, because she passed away. Uh, but the... the well, yeah, she survived Jason an accident. across the room. <laughs> well, Over the TV, well, and, he just... Well, yeah, and then, and then after that... She, got cancer but uh oh uh the the raised axe where you know it's a screenshot of uh before he you know chops into melissa's head uh that is that frozen that image right there is on the image of the original nes uh nintendo game <laughs> yeah and, and it's also on one of the plebiscite publicity stills that I own. Um, and I think that's a ditch witch that he uses on Cruise. That's the only time I've ever seen him use a gas-powered weapon that actually exists. Hey, does uh, that exist, or is it made for this movie? <laughs> I, I, I think it's more believable than the Sander, even if it doesn't exist. It's got to be... Mean, it's, yeah, it's, yeah, uh, it's got to be an industrial thing. It's There's no way you could buy that at Home Depot. That thing is, like, massive. I will say, relating to that, how unsatisfying is that death for the biggest piece of shit in the movie you want uh, dead from the instant yeah. you meet him, and you get that? I yeah. mean, it was that an MPAA cut, or is that just like... It was, yeah. There was, had to been, because Jesus, how unsatisfying. Uh, you see the blade hit the chest. I swear, I mean, I know they talk about how the elements are gone, and there could never be like a uh, director's cut of this movie, but I swear, is it... Crystal Lake Memories that you can, has you can YouTube some of, these some shots. of the, yeah. yeah YouTube has a lot of the shots too if you search this movie on YouTube there's a lot of stuff that's it's it's in horrible quality oh yeah yeah it's 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 completely unprocessed the yeah. the, the the footage but yeah you could see you could see the um the guy on the the guy on the beach getting the axe to the face you can see the multiple um, sleeping bag hits to the tree. You could see uh, the blade hitting um, Bernie's chest. 
Um, you get to see all those gore shots. You know, they're very dark and muddy. Dr. Lomax. Yeah, but I, I, but I can't remember where. It's in one of the documentaries or some supplemental feature somewhere. His name was Jason, maybe? Either that or Crystal Lake. I, I want to say Crystal Lake Memories, but... You're pro- it's probably in Memories. Because yeah. it's so awesome. It's so long, it can fit. It could, <laughs> it had to room to put it all put in. Put it in there, yeah. Yeah, I've always been a big fan of this movie. This is the first Friday Thirteenth movie I ever saw in a theater. So I didn't see it in the theater, but it was this was probably the first uh, Friday that I saw. I think so for me too. I, I can't. Rem- I mean, I, I remember seeing one of the early ones, like, but not sitting down and watching in full. This is one of the first ones I rented in my teenage years, and I loved it from then, and I still absolutely love it i would not say it's a guilty pleasure because i do not feel guilty at all i will watch this one any day of the week i know it from like the opening scene to the final scene like the back of my hand i know out of all the series i probably know this one the best uh, me too (laughs) i think i it's my favorite personally and then number two which you know a lot of people would disagree but everybody's got their favorite so for the longest time, I debated on which one was my favorite, and this one was always right up there. You know, I'd have some years where, like, this is my favorite. No, this is my favorite. But I think I finally settled on six being my favorite. And the only thing that takes seven down a slight notch is that this is the this is the group of kids that are the most unlikable out of the entire franchise. I hate all of these kids and cannot wait for them to die. And I get it. That's part of it. You know, but yeah, you mentioned some of the really bad. You're not rooting for some of the some of the, some of those really bad hooky lines that they say. You know, like, oh, you know what I like about you? You hardly sweat at all. You know, like shit like that. You know, Colombian Express. You know, <laughs> all aboard. I'm like you, dickhead. Just like, will you just take a machete <laughs> to the mouth? You're annoying the piss out of me already. You know. Or there's the the sort of uh, considered the ugly duckling of the group. When the blonde bitch sort of tells her, like, you could use a touch-up or something, she she goes into the bathroom, and she completely redoes her hair, makeup, and everything, yeah. while looking in the mirror, talking to herself, going, oh, I could use a touch-up, huh, bitch? I'll show you. You're touching yourself up. You're proving her right. <laughs> <laughs> you did exactly what you, she just said. And you you come out, and she loses the earring. I feel so bad. Like, she's the only character I have any sympathy for in this because, you know, yeah. she's she goes and she she makes herself up, and she's ready. She comes out, and to me, that's the most tense scene in the whole movie when he follows her into the barn. Holy well, shit, man, that, that scene is so well done. That's probably my favorite scene of the whole movie. There's that yeah. one shot. There's one shot in there. If I remember right, it's kind of an aerial shot. Yes, Looking over the wall, and you see him enter as she has her wall against her back against the wall. Yeah, yeah, that That's is a so very tense creepy. shot. Yeah, yeah, that that whole scene is a uh, the first time you watch it, you definitely hold your breath, and I still sort of do, you know, because you know you know what's coming, and he breaks through the wall and gets her from both sides. But when she's crawling under, and she she takes off her her heels, and you know, man, that scene is tense. Mm-hmm. To he's me, got a like, great... go ahead, sorry. Oh, I was just going to add that he's got a great head turn in that yeah. too, where she's kind of peeking through the uh, the planks of the wood where she's hiding, yeah. And he kind of turns his head, and it looks like he's looking directly at her. And I'm just, oh shit! 
Yeah, know? I was just going to exactly mention that because to me, like, my fears when is is always, when, as a kid at that age, is like, yeah, if you're peeking at somebody and they catch you or, you know, to me it's like, just, just don't look because if you're not looking, <laughs> you know, he can't look back at you. Uh, like I had a fear of that or like looking out a, a window and having someone looking in the window at the same time. Oh yeah. That would definitely put shit wow. in the pants. Yeah. That's what happened to Wes Craven. That's how he thought of Freddy Krueger. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, man, this, this one has always been like, I would say when I was just getting into horror, my brother and I would go to our grocery store. High V had a rental section and Basically, they had a pegboard, and they had business card-sized covers of, the, uh, of yeah. every movie they had, and it hang from it would like hang from a little hang tag like a badge holder. And uh, if the movie cover was on the wall, they had it in stock, so you would take the badge and you walk it up into the customer service, and they had all the videos in the back uh, on VHS. And I always rent this and uh, Jason Takes Manhattan because they were the only two that were always there. And my dad would just be like. You want to watch this one again? I'm like, yes. <laughs> yes <laughs> I want I to watch this one again. And uh, man, I, I, it's so funny because I have such a strong connection. Um, not so much, not not only nostalgia because I can still watch it and uh, enjoy the hell out of it. But uh, there's also I have so many problems. Like the I mentioned the the whole scene where she's talking to herself in the mirror, making herself up cussing at the girl for telling her to make herself up it makes no sense uh the other other scenes that really bother the hell out of me are is when uh tina sees the spike through the back porch you know the beam and then of course she goes to tell the doctor and he comes out and he's like you're crazy where's this spike there's a huge hole in the wall like in the giant yeah yeah, there's a giant gouge of wood yeah (laughs) And it's like, uh, it was right here, and it's clearly gone. And then later we see that he has it in his drawer. Like, I know we were supposed to hate him, but did he? it didn't really make much sense that he somehow put that through the wood just to fuck with her. Because, Jesus Christ, man. Uh, another thing that sort of, you know, is weird is that when she makes the TV float across the room with her mind at the beginning, when, when the doctor's sort of testing her abilities and getting her pissed off just so he can, you know, exploit her her uh, superpower. The TV has no kind of cables attached to it. It's apparently some kind of, uh, you know, Bluetooth or solar panel TV uh, or something. Never a, D, a D battery TV. Right. It has, it has no plug-in, has no cable, has nothing going to it. It just... Well, maybe it's like one of, those, one of those, like, emergency radios where it's got, where you wind it up. Maybe got a giant crank in the back. But if it did, like you would think her uh, telekinetic powers would turn it on. (laughs) Maybe the telekinetic powers disconnected the wires before she threw it. Yeah, (laughs) just consider it while angry. And it's very clear that you know when you find out that uh, Beekler directed this, and it's like he does a very long extended scene towards the end of the movie where Jason's mask gets ripped off and it's clear he just, you know, is is almost showing off like, you know, check out what I can do. I'm going to make this and and I'm not complaining, but it's like 
the, he takes the one iconic thing that Jason is known for and rips it off. And, you know, that's the climax of the movie is when he, he throws him through the steps, then he jumps out of the basement and, you know, drags her down. And uh, it's, it's sort of funny because they go down in the basement and Tina shoots a thousand nails at his body. But he gets real mad and only pulls one out of his head like... <laughs> that one's the one that hurts you know there's there's a hundred of them in my body but that one on my forehead god damn it that one hurts i and noticed that and apparently spraying gasoline on him renders him just as useless yeah. as that. <laughs> you don't have to light him on fire yet you just just spraying him gets him really pissed off well i noticed that i mean he was he was uh Caden was acting pretty well through through the makeup you know when he pulls that when he pulls that cord that it was that was choking him, you know, from from the ceiling, he just yanks it off his neck. He kind of gives her this look. It's like that just says, "Bitch, you are pissing me off." Yeah, you know, he does and, quite a few of those where he moves the jaw in it, so you can. Yeah, see he's, you know, he's kind of he kind of shows his one good eye that you can see, and he's just like, you know, he kind of tilts his head towards her. He's like, "You are, you know." I'm about to I'm about to get in your ass, lady. I'm, you're p- you're pissing me <laughs> That's what's so cool oh. about Kane Hodder's performance in this is like they had the foresight to actually go that way with with Jason. Not only is you know um, you never really see him get mad up until this point. You know he's just doing what he does. But like this time he's like up against somebody that is a, a formidable foe. Who's yeah, kind of kicking his ass at, at certain points, and it's just, it just really gets to him, and it pisses him off, and like, it's really cool seeing like an emotional, angry Jason. Yeah, why isn't this working? Why? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And this, um, this one gets a lot of shit for being, you know, of course, everybody sort of uh, uses the same, oh, it's Carrie versus Jason type of thing. But I give him credit for just finally doing something unique and different than yeah. uh, the several other sequels. You know how m- how many times can we do him arriving at the camp and just murdering everyone? I I thought it was great to give him a foe and give him uh, sort of motivation to go after these yes. kids. A thousand percent, yeah. and I, a thousand percent agree. And like I think this is the one where they're like, hey, let's try something new that actually works. You know, I can't really say much for how the franchise. Jason goes to hell. I mean, come on. Exactly. You know, exactly. My point. Yeah. So, (laughs) um, you know, it's like they they kept what they knew had to stay. You know, let's keep him at the lake. Let's keep you know, but doing something different by actually giving a formidable foe, and you know, and and adding in the mix of like some more special effects with the whole, you know, super powered telekinetic Tina. So. And I, and those I, those moments, you know, I wish there was more of those moments between the two of them. But those moments are awesome. Oh yeah, I, I did. I know I'm kind of backtracking here. I love the the title credits, you know, with with the narration and everything. But then you've got the mask, and it's almost like the beginning of the thing with the light coming out of the holes in the mask. And I just I love that. I love that title sequence. The the way they where they did that. Yeah, this one, like I said, just puts me back in, man, like, I, I've probably seen this one the most out of the series, easily. Maybe yeah. one, as far as movies I've seen in general, man, it's got to be <laughs> up there. 
<laughs> most watched, rewatched. Yeah, it's it, every every Friday Thirteenth. I make a point to watch at least two of the movies, and this one yeah. is right up there with Part Four and Part Two as ones I rewatch yeah. almost. You know, every time I go back to the well, this one I I could like I said I could probably re- if you put it push play right now I could probably recite the words for you if you put it on mute. Uh, just something about it, it, it like. The formula is just simple, and it just it gets, yeah. hits, hits the kills that I love. Um, it does not drag at any point. I enjoy the hell out of it. Me too. I'm right there with you. I'm right I'm, there with you, Ted. Yeah, I think uh, I was reading a little bit about, or I, probably some of the special features and stuff, I find uh, some of the, the stories behind the movie uh, interesting, like the scene where, you know, Kane's or I guess Jason as Kane as Jason is following her up the steps and she gets choked. And then he, he drops through the steps. He, they built like four fake steps and he had to hit the mark right on the spot to fall through yeah. those. And he just about cracked his head on a real step. It's just crazy to me. Like, how is that, you know, safe at all? But, um, <laughs> and well, he, he missed the top part of the, didn't he miss the top part of the window, the, the big yeah, the, window by yeah, inches that, yeah, by when he jumps through that uh, picture window, yeah. Yeah. And there's no easy way to to collapse an entire front porch onto anybody. Oh, so yeah. There's, <laughs> not, not like that was, you know, perfect. So he got the hell beat out of him in this one, and he he pays for it. But, man. Yeah, I mean, you, you can't know. really make, like, a top porch, porch out of, like, you know, balsa wood. I mean, it can't be that light. I mean, yeah, it's got it's to gotta be a legit structure. <laughs> but another slight like what the fuck ism in this one is the whole dad storyline towards the end when he comes out and he still looks like the dad and we're all supposed to know who that is yeah. he pulls jason down and saves the day obviously that was something they had a i think you know originally they filmed him as a zombie i don't remember for some yeah. reason i remember seeing that footage but the studio thought that the audience would not understand who that was and <laughs> would question what the hell happened like, Which ends up happening, anyways, yeah. you know, because it's like, who's this old guy coming out of the water, still in, yeah. you know, okay shape, not decomposed or uh, zombified in any way, and pulls Jason down with a chain. And, and dressed like Mr. Rogers. Right. Are we supposed to think that, you know, it just, was this in Tina's head? Was he real? Did she, did she use her telekinetic powers to bring her dad back? And if so, how is he in still pristine condition? There's a lot of questions there. See, this is why I have a really weird, uh, bizarre uh, theory about Crystal Lake. And I just I just want to tell you guys. Now, I think that, uh, you know, means that it's a place of mayhem, people might totally disagree with me. I think the Fountain of Youth is somewhere underneath Crystal Lake. Because I think Jason floated down and he got into the Fountain of Youth and that kept him alive. He came back, saw his mother, got beheaded, and we're, we're to the second one. I mean, of course, you know, the Fountain of Youth didn't buy him a bus ticket or a plane ride to go kill Alice. But, well, that's, that's another story. But, apparently, you know, whatever's there can keep Jason alive and, you know, keep him, keep his you know, body up to snuff. It can reattach his fucking mother's head, you know, because she jumped out of the, out of the water in the in the third one. And like you said, uh, John Shepard looked pretty good 
you know, for being underneath the water for 10 years. He looked better than some people who are actually above water. So, uh, yeah, I think the fountain of youth is somewhere there. And it's just like Jason just kills all these kids, you know, either, you know, because they're interrupting his work, you know, just like, that's my fountain of youth. You can't have it. Hmm. And that's my bizarre in no way, shape or form. Is it even possible theory? All right. It, 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 it did reattach his mom's head though. (laughs) Yeah, because what's really happening is so believable as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I love this movie too. I, I I watched it a lot. I it's one of my most watched too. Right when I was, I mean, I I I'd, I'd seen um, the earlier Friday Thirteenth on USA up all night um, when I was a kid. When I would stay up late and sneak sneakily turn the TV back on after we were supposed to go to bed and. Watch those early. Is that the one with? Is that Ron the one with Rondish? Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. And uh, yeah, back when weren't supposed to be watching them, but we'd. Uh, so I so I caught the early ones there, and it scared the crap out of me. But once I got older and hit my fango stride, and um, seven was always huge. I I I have a completely vivid memory of having a poster of. John Caro Beekler and and Jason on my wall. I remember that poster. Yeah, I mean, uh, was, he was on my wall growing up. So I've always been a huge, huge fan. This this movie poster was the first thing that I had Kane Hodder sign, and it's still hanging upstairs to this day. I'm assuming, and that's. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Uh, I was just saying it's. Uh, I have a Friday the Thirteenth Part Seven, The New Blood, you know, hanging on my wall, and it's when I when I got a chance to meet Kane Harder. That's the that's the what I had what what I had him sign. So yeah, that's displayed displayed prominently in my horror room tape dungeon. You know, where I think it's whatever you want to call still it. hanging on my wall in the old house. <laughs> From this day, it's still there. Probably, yeah. yeah. So I'm assuming I had to step away from it. I'm assuming you guys got into the look of Jason himself, right? But Not a whole lot, no. Oh, really? Okay. Because, I mean, to me, that's like one of John Carl's crowning achievements, I feel, especially as an effects artist, is the look of Jason in this movie. And the detail, like, just going into the detail aspect alone and the 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 idea that they researched all the previous films and made sure that the the look of Jason contained every single stab, gunshot wound, every physical trauma that Jason had been inflicted um, is represented in that makeup. You know, from the missing eye to, you know, the... the well, he's, he's got the whole scar from the... From the top of his head all the way down to the eye socket, you know, and then the axe, the axe wound on the top part of the mask. Mm-hmm. Yep. And three. And uh, yeah, yeah, the three from three, and all the you know bullet holes in the chest and stuff. But man, it's all about that vertebrae, though, right? <laughs> that shot when yeah. he's walking he walks out, out of the, the water. Uh huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you see that vertebrae sticking out of his back. I'm like, 
That is gorgeous. Yeah. And even, like, if you look closely at the kneecaps, you could see bone sticking out of the kneecap yeah. area. And the, the, shit, and the shins. Yeah, yep. shin bones. Yeah. Yep. It is, it's, the, it's the greatest Jason makeup ever. And then they sort of go and shit on it in Manhattan. It just, it well, continually got shit on from then on out. There wasn't a decent Jason makeup since, in my opinion. As you would call him Nerf Jason. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, part eight is Nerf Nerf football, Jason. And then uh, man, er, and, uh, Jason goes to hell. He's like meatball Jason, where his fucking head is a mat ball <laughs> toy. Yeah. Yep, yep. <laughs> and then, See, I was never a big fan of part six Jason. I mean, I call him Batman Jason. because He's, he's a little too clean, around, yeah, with his and belt. And he's walking belt. Yeah, the utility <laughs> belt, man. I mean, he just picks something up and he fucking, you know, he puts it through you. Okay? That's just... I mean, he doesn't carry around, you know, he's not a roofer. I mean, he's <laughs> a garden specialist. He's so, doing like a Tim Taylor cosplay. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll give you the I'll give you the utility belt and the bright yellow gloves, but Two-tone there's still something pants. I always liked still about that look of part six. I know, I understand it's a little clean, but I just, I love just how the whole robotic, you know, shark-like, movement of Jason in that one. There's just, you know, he's just completely devoid. He's just literally a killing machine at this point. I like the mask in that one. That's about it. Just because you have it. On the look, I mean, look-wise, you know, (laughs) movie-wise, I love the movie. I'm just saying look like, yeah. 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 But we're not talking about six. We're talking about seven. (laughs) Well, in, in talking about six, we're, um, Pumping up seven, which was the work of our topic today. That's right. That's right. I kind of want to jump back to some, talk about the cast a little bit more. Um, how uh, Laura Park, wait, wait, Laura Park Lincoln, Laura Lincoln, Park, Laura um, Park, uh, Lincoln Park, but yes, Lincoln Park plays Tina in the movie, and like John wanted her so bad, but the producers kept telling him no. And so what he would have her do is after she would after she would audition he'd make her go home, change, do something different with her hair, then come back and audition again. Oh. Did that about what like five or six times something like that, and then until finally they said yes, but they didn't. But they didn't realize it was the same girl every single time. The producers didn't. So I thought that was awesome. And I think and again like I think. I mean, a lot of, I mean, I, I get it, you know, I'm a director as well. Um, I think a lot of directors just get really comfortable with, with certain people on their team, whether it's behind the camera or in front of the camera. And they worked together, him and, and Laura Park Lincoln, he did the effects works for House 2, the second story, and she was in House 2, the second story, along with uh, Kane Hodder, did stunts in, in House 2, and if you remember the the uh, the Halloween party in House Two, and the guy in the gorilla suit that falls off the railing, that's uh, that's Kane Hodder. And then Kane Hodder um, did stunts again in um, for John Carl in uh, Ghoulies Three, Ghoulies Go to College, and even um, uh, Elizabeth Catan. Uh, you know, we mentioned that she was in Slave Girls from Beyond Infinity, and John Carl did the uh, makeup effects on that show. So, and then even um, Bill Butler, 
Bill Butler was in... Uh, oh, he was in Ghoulies 2. So. And uh, didn't Kane Hodder play the mushroom in Troll? Or was that? <laughs> <laughs> I just want to keep crediting people to that. So it's all who you know is what you're trying to say. And Sasha Jensen was in uh, Ghoulies 2, who was also in Halloween 4. Oh yes, yes, and yeah, and John uh, did did makeup work on Halloween Four. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Small world, it is. See, you know, and I just I really feel like there was a lot of talent there, both as a as an effects artist and as a filmmaker. Um, Adam Green tells this great story about John Carl about how. On Hatchet, uh, going back to Hatchet here, on the set of Hatchet, they were shooting. They were shooting this uh, scene, and you know where, and it wasn't raining in the scene. And when they go to do the reversals, and they're running out of time, they only have like a you know an hour or so left to get things done. When they go to shoot the rehearsals, it starts raining, and Adam and the producer they're freaking out. They don't know what to do. John walks up to him, and he and they're just like, uh, he, he's like, you know, what's wrong? He's like, well. It was rain. It's raining now. It wasn't raining before, and John's like, you know what? Just shoot it, and and uh, and it worked. You know the way they the way they shot it. It uh, it worked in the film. Like I've never never called out that there's you know this scene in the beginning of the movie where it's raining in one one shot and not raining in the next shot. So you know instead of standing there wasting time and trying to figure out how to fix an unsolvable problem just just do it and get it done because otherwise you're not going to get it done so and then also Adam Green would tell a lot of stories about how he would always wear short shorts every day (laughs) 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 because he John Carr was pretty famous for wearing short shorts uh, anytime he was working on a movie who was it that was telling a story Maybe it was Kate Hodder telling a story about how he was being interviewed one time. He was sitting in a chair and his balls would fall out of the shorts. <laughs> Sean, Sean Clark mentioned that, yeah. Oh, maybe it was, yeah, maybe it was Sean Clark, though. <laughs> oh, but yes, but Friday 7 is a lot of fun. What do you guys think of the score in yeah. 7? It's, it's kind of a different I score. don't know if I like it this time. Okay. It kind of got to me more than... It has before. With that striking... Oh, not just yeah, that 14-minute credit opening where you're just like two notes. It just notes repeats that, just, that pound. Yeah. Every Come on, get to the movie! Yeah. And so there's some repetitiveness with the rest of it, but it's okay. It's all right. Yeah. But that part definitely got to me. Because I'm probably wrong on this, but I think that's the first one uh, by Henry didn't do. Yeah. All I know is when Nika releases a new blood figure of Jason, I'm all over that shit. They did. I have both of them. Ha ha! Oh. oh, like not like a like like none like long ago or like yeah, they like, did a seven inch, uh, eighteen inch. Oh, I have I have like the big like I have like a really big one that's like kind of sure like this. Uh, it's got like a uh, tree stump on it, and he's standing on a platform. <laughs> <Jesus>. <laughs> uh, 
Um, at, they did a yeah a statue version of that. Yeah, and just have a tree did, stump. I got no. an eighteen inch version of that, and then they oh. did a seven inch version of that, which is just getting worse and worse as I talk. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> there was something I wanted to get into, but I don't know if I should do it. Just because I want to get you going. Do it. But you know you love to. Pa- but you stepped we'll away a little bit, and they started talking about the dad who came back looking just like he did ten years ago. In the water. And there was a time earlier where you were saying some of the things you kind of didn't like about this movie. And I thought it was going to be because... Because the father looked Because this movie new. fucks up your timeline. I... Mm, Are you I know. past it? Are you... Did you figure it out? There's one shot... Well, okay. Well, I think it. I think... I actually was thinking about this just the other day. Just I, just, I did when I watched it. And I thought I had it figured out to help you, but... Well, I, I think the only thing I can rationalize is, like, if I really did the math, if I'm being gracious here, because Tina, obviously, as an, as the actress goes, has got to be in her 20s, right? But Tina is still supposed to be a teenager, right? So I'm going to say at best, because there's one, there's one shot in this movie that always pissed me off because it, I felt always felt like it fucked up the uh the continuity timeline and that is in the beginning where um uh the dad is beating up the mom and he and tina runs out on the on the dock and the father goes out and she's like i hate you i wish you were dead and he falls into the there during all that there is one shot of jason in the bottom of the lake and I felt like they don't need that shot there because that establishes that there is x there all these years between the end of part six and 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 uh, when Jason comes back in part seven, putting the film way into the future. But I'm thinking like, okay, if little Tina, maybe she's what, what would, age would you say she probably is? Maybe nine or ten. That's what I suspect she was. I'm trying to be generous. Well, see, uh, you, that's was my original thinking that she was seven or eight, and like, I, so I'm thinking. I, my original thought was like ten years had passed, adding ten years to this timeline. Really, really just pissed me off. But, um, but if Tina, if Tina, in the modern time is like a teenager, then I'm saying that maybe only five or six years have passed, and I can maybe accept that a little bit better. Okay, if I know this is probably like not cool to do, but I am a huge fan of a podcast called "In Voorhees We Trust" with Gorley and Rust. And they do a whole, like, two-hour podcast on each of the Friday 13th movies. Sweet. And each mm. each episode, they talk about the storyline. And I've never really put too much thought into these movies as far as when the story is <laughs> actually taking place and how to make sense of it, because I just simply want to watch Jason murder people. Oh, yeah. Well, but I put way too much thought in there. I highly recommend watching it because they, they record in, like, a at um like a pot, like a studio and they have a big window they use and they write the story like every episode they keep a running timeline on a window to keep track of when these movies will actually be taking place and it sort of blew my mind listening to these episodes because like according to their timeline they're keeping track of these years this one would take place somewhere in like the 2000s yeah wow yep yeah that's that was, what bothered you that was my math yeah yeah and it's like I never, ever, even once thought of that. But uh, these movies are like way ahead because you think about like when they jump, 
Tommy Jarvis from a little boy to a full-grown adult yep. with between two movies, they jump way, you know, like 20 fucking years right there. Uh, well, see, you know, I don't know if that's, I don't know if I, well, I don't know if I'd say that's 20, okay, tw- even 20 still, years, yeah. but still, yeah. That's 10 jump. years, you know, and then you, then you jump another couple of years here and there and, and quickly adds up very quickly. And, you At know, at some point they stated the year Jason died. And so if you add all these up, we're talking way in the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's what's and bothered Mike. Timeline continuity. Well, it's like, I'd never, ever once ever thought of that until i listened to this podcast and it was sort of like holy shit you know you, you think you know you about series. they were all around the same time right right they yeah you never, yeah it's like oh they're set in the time that they were they were filmed you know and uh i don't know i highly recommend this podcast it's two two comedians who absolutely love this franchise it's it's great to get uh perspective cool. yeah it's, i love it because it's a perspective from two people who aren't big horror nerds but they're uh very just two stand-up comedians that are fans of this stuff and love it and uh they bring in a guest for se- for se- for several episodes and one of my favorites is their new blood one because they bring in anthony jesselnik who's one of my favorite comedians oh yeah he's great it, and when they announced they're doing this podcast he uh actually hit them up and was like i call this episode because this is his favorite in the series Aww. and hearing hearing his uh ideas and sort of his perspective of this movie is absolutely hilarious it's it's combines my two favorite loves of stand-up comedy and horror and i highly awesome. recommend that podcast <laughs> and and it's just now it's finally rolling out for free it was behind a paywall but now you can catch it free on like spotify and stuff but it's called in in Voorhees we trust with Gorley and rust it's paul rust from the netflix series love um originally from i think the cedar rapids area he's a oh, iowan nice uh, who's made it sort of big with Judd Apatow's stuff. Uh, and him and his friend just do this awesome podcast. They're going to be tackling the Halloween series this year, so I'm looking forward to it. But the podcast is very well done. It's very funny, very entertaining. Highly highly recommend it, but listen to our podcast too. So, <laughs> when, um, when they break down the timeline, do they figure out years based on um, years that have Friday, uh, Friday 13th at different seasons? Um, I don't know. I mean, they get they get really into it. So, they, I've, I've seen timelines where they they actually had figured out the specific year this movie had to have taken place because where Friday Thirteenth landed on the calendar. Right. Yeah, they do that. Yeah. Okay. But also, you know, something else to blow your mind on how many of the films in the franchise do not even take place on Friday Thirteenth. Right. They mentioned that too. Yeah. Which I'm like. Never even think about that, you know? Because what is like three, three and four? They don't take place in, on Friday thirteenth. Right. Because like three takes place, um, three takes place shortly after two, and four takes place literally the night after three. So, well, it's sort of like how I rationalize. Um, you guys, I I know you, everybody on this podcast, everybody listens to this podcast suffers the same exact feeling that I do every year with post-Halloween depression. Like, the day after mm-hmm. Halloween, November 1st, is always the worst because it's super sad. Yeah. But you can get over it because you can watch Halloween 2 because technically Halloween 2 takes place on November 1st. So. That's right. There you go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but I highly recommend, like I said, that podcast. And uh, they, they follow the timelines. And, and it's very rare for me to watch or listen to a podcast where I sort of get uh, – 
learn something new. You know, it's some, a lot of times I end up, if I know a lot about the topic, I end up being more angry than anything because I'm like, they're wrong. But this was very interesting hearing the storyline thing. I'd never even thought of it. And uh, it's funny that you brought that up because I think you would listen to this and be like, oh, that's interesting. Cool. Yeah, yeah I just I wrote it down. I'm totally going to check it out. Totally going to check it out. I, I get, um, get quite obsessed with the timeline of of this franchise, yeah. Well, I, I think I think these kids in number seven, I think it was 2000 or 2001, I just think that they all shopped at the Goodwill. I think Melissa got her. I think I think Melissa got her pearls at the Goodwill. But mom's hairdo. Come I mean, on. I wish I I wish um, Poofy Banks would come back in I the year two thousand. But so I don't know, man. I think the redhead, like she's the hottest in this one. And oh, I agree. I, oh, I agree. Yeah. Uh, and what's up with the beer that they're drinking? What when you drop it on carpet, it explodes everywhere. Come on. <laughs> Does everybody have? Yeah, let's do a lightning round of. Uh, oh, of John honorable Carl, mentions of honorable mentions. Yeah, for for John Carl, either as a director or as an effects artist, or yeah. or both. I'll go first. I didn't realize it until I just saw it, but uh, Terror Vision, obviously. Yeah, he did what the a great fucking effects wizardry explosion of a film that is. Gosh dang! Love the monster in that movie. So fun. There's something about all of his, all of his makeup work that feels distinctively him. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like I don't know if like some cause, I don't know some of his creatures seem to have like Cellar Dweller, for example, seem to have very similar features to him himself. You know, a giant um, uh, forehead, and uh, so I wonder if maybe he sculpts stuff off of his own life cast. Was that you? Did you have another one, or is that? Oh, your one? I was just we're just going around the horn. I don't. Oh, I'm just throw them out more. there. <laughs> um, that's one I was excited about. From Beyond. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. His work in From Beyond. Mm, yeah. Oh, I'm gonna say Dolls. Out of all of the doll movies that are out there, that's, that's I feel like Dolls have some of the some of the best. Yeah. Like looking and moving dolls, you know, especially if any of the Charles Band stuff. Yep. I'll go uh, Bride of Reanimator. <gasps> yeah, with that's Catherine a great one. Ken, the, yeah, with all her guts and shit and just all that stuff coming out of her, yeah, that was that was really good. I'm a big Halloween 4 fan. I oh, think sh- everybody on here is. Yep. Yeah, I was yeah say, obviously. Elm Street 4... I was going to yeah. say that with the he, horror pizza. The horror pizza. And apparently he did the, Some the, giant, the giant Freddy chest, too. Oh, and he did Steve Alice's Ch- old yeah. age. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's cool, though. I mean, looking at his IMDb here, um, he did stuff on Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, so... It wasn't all just Charles Bannon films. Yeah. I enjoyed his cameo in Hatchet too. Oh, Jack yeah. Cracker. <laughs> Drinking his pee. Ugh. <laughs> Except that part, maybe. That's my favorite part of the movie. The pee drinking. <laughs> it would be. <laughs> Sick fuck. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. 
Yep. <clears throat> All right, well, I guess that wraps up our conversation on John Carl Beekler. Sure miss you, big guy. Definitely, yeah, definitely will say, be missed. I luckily got to meet him once, and he was a sweetheart. That's yeah, he seemed like heard. a big teddy bear of a guy, you know, right? Yeah, super nice dude. Yeah. And we miss you, and we love your stuff, man. But we still have more show, so we're going to take a break. When we come back, it'll be time for segments here on Attack of the Killer Podcast. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Prescribed Films Podcast Network, home to hundreds of hours of free podcast entertainment. The shows on this network all have a common goal, providing you with the best discussions about movies and other forms of entertainment media. The PFPN hopes to fill your ear holes with audio joy. Visit our website with links to all the other amazing shows at www.thepfpn.com. Thanks for listening. And we're back. Segments time here on Attack of the Killer Podcast. And we're going to start, as we always do, with some show notes. It's time for... Shout outs! Shout outs! Shout outs! Shout outs! Shout outs! That's right, everybody's favorite segment here on Attack of the Killer Podcast. It's shout outs. Let's go to our group on Facebook. The Attack of the Killer Podcast Group Edition. We got Brian Clark. That old that guy. That old dog. And of course he says, Carnosaur. <laughs> I was hoping Carnosaur would get brought up on this episode <laughs> at some point and leave it to Brian leave to be the one Brian. to do it. Yep. Then we got Derek Eulen. He says, Hatchet, Carnosaur, and Nightmare Elm Street 4. Then we got your pal, the old Gore Gang fella himself, Mark Dixon. Ah, oh, check Mark. Hey, buddy. Yeah, he says Halloween 4. No brainer for me. Then we got Greg Diedrich. Greg D. D. I, l- I miss that guy. I miss both those guys. They have a podcast. You know Greg D. Yeah. Okay. He says, always loved and appreciated his effects work on what he brought to the industry as a whole, but I really have a special place in my heart for his first two directorial gigs. His segment for Dungeon Master and Troll. Dungeon Master is one of those cool pseudo-anthology movies that, among other things, features the metal band Wasp. Nice. Anyway, his segment is great, and it's, it is it features a little troll-esque creature and is a lot of fun. Speaking of troll-esque creatures, troll is a glorious piece of 80s cheese. The creature effects are top-notch. The Richard Band score is really underrated. And you have Julia Louis-Dreyfus dancing as a nymphette. Michael Moriarty breaking out an air guitar. And of course, the introduction of Harry Potter. Obviously, I really dig this movie and appreciate what Mr. Beekler meant to the horror world. He will be missed, but never forgotten. Then our pal Mike Reeb says, This one hit me pretty hard. My table was next to his at two different Crypticons. Hanging out with him for two weekends was awesome. I grew up watching Ghoulies and Dungeon Master on Betamax. Remember that? 
Troll is still a great watch to this day. His work in Dolls is some of my absolute favorite. And of course, Jason Voorhees never looked better than he did in Part 7. Thank you, John. And then we'll head over to our Facebook page. Up first, Tim Blake says, Friday 13th, Part 7, Hatchet 1 and 2. Joe Castro says, Troll. Stephen Atkinson says, I loved him. He was badass. He was. He was. Good call, Stephen. Uh, Rod Matsui. This is pretty cool. This just came up today. I don't know if you saw some of the pictures that uh, Rod posted, but he said, John was a wonderful, fun to work with and for on Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare. Um, he did a bunch of appliance makeups on that. It was his first time working with John. A tremendous fun and a special memory. You can see there's a picture that's of That's awesome, yeah. Him, and that's what I said. I said, that's awesome. And he says, uh, Rod says, when we were filming Freddy's Dead <coughs> in Pasadena, John introduced him to uh, Chiopino. Yep, sorry about that. An Italian seafood stew, which I'd never seen or tried. And it was fantastic soup. The lunch truck was serving it one day, and he said, Oh, Chiopino, you've got to try that. It's incredible. He did. He also has, uh, Rod says, Red Rock West with Nicolas Cage and Dennis Hopper. It was also a fun memory. That's him working some appliances on his leg there. Nice. Um, got to apply gore makeup to Dennis Hopper, and John was nearby. Very cool. Yeah. Really neat, Some Rod. cool pictures. Yeah, thanks for the pics. Yeah, awesome. yeah it's all those. And then uh, lastly on Facebook, we got William McKenzie F. Keenum says, His special effects on From Beyond are out of this world and terrifying. You're dang right they were. Um, we didn't have anything on Twitter or Instagram. That's my fault. I didn't get it posted fast enough. But um, anyway, if you if you want to, you still have time to. You can always, at any time, give us a call and leave us a voicemail on our voicemail. <laughs> and that number <laughs> is 415-952-6857, or the shortcut is 415-95-AOTKP. Leave us your comments. We'll play them on the show. And that's shout-outs. I got one more thing I want to say about okay. um, about the Jason look in Part 7. Yeah. Okay? You know, especially considering there's a lot of, like, exposed bone and whatnot in the in uh -huh. the look of, of Jason. Um, the, it, the outfit doesn't look overly bulky. I mean, like, right. Kane's a husky guy. And, uh, you know... Uh, adding stuff to him is only going to make things look bulkier and stand out, but just proportionately, things looked. I, I don't know if that's a testimony to how he shot it or how the how the effects costume work. I mean, you think about like Tarman from Return of the Living Dead, which basically looks like he's a skeleton with slime <laughs> holding those bones together. Right. You know, mm -hmm. but that's an actor who's extremely skinny, extremely skinny and frail. And Kane was not. that they can that they can build on and still make him look like a walking skeleton. Kane, yeah, Kane's not a like a slim guy. He's he's husky, he's a big guy, built, got a lot of muscle, and yet he does not that that outfit, he does not look like the state puff marshmallow man. Right. You know? Yeah. And that is, I think, probably the biggest kudos you could give to that outfit. To to the work on that. 
Like, that is an amazing feat right there. I've never seen it pulled off like that ever. To still make it look proportionately to, to scale on such a husky guy. Pretty so, good. Yes. You know what else is good? What, what's that? Everybody's favorite segment, Insane's Picks! Sometimes when I, we do the pauses, <laughs> sometimes when we do the pauses, I play. What pauses? Pl- People don't know about these pauses. What behind the curtain bullshit well, are you? Then pulling? you can cut this out if you want. But you I probably I play the song in my head. Why'd you, that's and I'm why you like, wait? I wait too long because I got the song going in my head. Uh huh. So for this episode <laughs> of Insane's Picks, um, I am picking a film from 2009. It was released uh, on from Media Blasters. Uh, Media Blasters uh, being a label known for uh, their sub labels like Shriek Show. Shriek Show um, released a lot of horror films, and what they do is they would like they would like uh, remaster a lot of these you know lost films uh, at that time anyway. Um, they would do like a lot of Italian stuff. You know, I, my Italian collection is is three times the size of it is thanks to Media Blasters. But then they started towards the towards the end of their uh, their um, their popularity. They started releasing some original content as well. And in two thousand nine, they released a film called Smash Cut. Now this is a film that's directed by I'm not going to get the name right, but I'm going to do my best. Lee Dembray. Uh, from Quebec, Canada. Now, um, I know Lee, and Jason knows Lee from such films as Jesus Christ Vampire Hunter oh, yeah. and the Harry Knuckle films. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And we first discovered Harry Knuckle, the Harry Knuckle films um, at Troma Dance. Uh, mm-hmm. We saw uh, a Harry Knuckle film. No, wait. No, we saw the Harry Knuckle films on the first, like, Troma Dan- Best of Troma Dance Best DVD. Troma Dance. And then the second year when we went to Troma Dance, they were supposed to be playing... The Harry and Uncle's feature film, Curse of the Pearl Necklace, or something like that. I forget the full title. <laughs> um, we never didn't get to see that, though. That's a whole other story. Oh. Um, <clears throat> yes, it is. Yeah. So, so I was pretty excited to see this film. I was I was a fan of those of those other films, the Harry and Uncle's films, Jesus Christ Vampire Hunter, um, and. And this one's a little bit different than those films. Like what, what what's so charming about those other, other films? It feels like they're shot. They feel like they're shot on sixteen, maybe even shot on eight millimeter for crying out loud. Um, and all the dialogue is redubbed, and you got you got crazy sound effects and um, outrageous action sequences. And then usually nine times out of ten, Santo shows up. Uh, so you don't really get any of that in this film, but it is an amazing homage to exploitation films, and and he tries to uh, tries to show that the best way possible. I mean, obviously, you know the overuse of of um, scratches on the film uh, filters that you could do and stuff like that. But his color scheme uses a lot of reds, and, and uh, um, and it's got like a crazy score with like. Um, like uh, overly loud saxophones and stuff. It, the score sounds like real. I mean, it almost sounds like it's ripped off from uh, Robert Rodriguez's Planet Terror. But uh, this film stars, <coughs> excuse me, stars David Hess in one of his final films um, as director Abel Whitman. 
He's a filmmaker uh, whose last film is critically hated and does poorly at the box office, and it kind of sends him down the spiral to try to prove himself. So, out to, you know, getting ready to do his next, next movie, he picks up a stripper at a strip club, and they get in a car accident, and the stripper is killed. And so he gets the idea to use the stripper's body parts as props in his next horror film. That makes sense. And... Once those props are used up, he decides he needs to go and kill to get more props for his movies. So it's it's very much like Bucket of Blood in a sense. Um, and or Frankenhooker. Or for, yeah, okay, Frankenhooker. Uh-huh. Um, but it, it's definitely dr- drenched in 70s and 80s exploitation. Um, it's got a cool cast. Uh, Michael Berryman is in it. Uh, Sasha Gray, even Herschel Gordon Lewis himself, uh, appears in the film in a couple different roles. Uh, there's some great kills in it. There's a um, there's a scene uh, where uh, David Hess uses uses a clapper as a murder weapon, a clapper with razor teeth in between, and he uses it to chop a girl's fingers off and then slices her throat with it. So. It's definitely a good homage to to exploitation and true in form of of Lee's uh, other works. Um, you know, I miss you know the bad dubbing. I miss the the lead actor he would always have in all of his early Harry Knuckle films and whatnot. But uh, um, but you know, if you're gonna replace him with anybody, might as well be David Hess. So it's it's a fun film if you could still find it out there. Uh, I think it's been out of print for a while now, but definitely check it out. Smash Cut from 2009. Smash Cut! Yeah, so that's it. Ah, yeah. That is another episode in the books. What's Which, that mean? I don't know. It's more... This is an audio file. So. Maybe, maybe it's on the books. On the books. Does that sound better? I don't know. I don't know. There's another episode we recorded. Episode number... 182. 182. That's right. You did it. Did it. Good job. (laughs) I did it, Gilbert. Uh, So I want to thank everybody for listening. Thanks out there to our Patreon supporters. Oh, man. We love you. So awesome. Yes. Amen. And don't forget, you too can be a Patreon supporter. Patreon dot com backslash aotkp if you like what you're listening to it really helps us out and also cool stuff yes and also a very 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 special thanks to the late great john carl beekler for giving us many of hours of entertainment and cool cool monster effects so Mm -hmm. until next time we will talk to you on the next episode of talk of killer podcast see ya oh no could this be the end of (laughs) what of the killer